to another episode of Figurisms. I'm your host, Grant Trimble, and in this show, I talk to creatives from models, sculptors, painters, etc. that utilize nudity in their work. The whole purpose of this is to try and foster a greater comprehension of the use of the human figure in the arts by understanding with greater depth the people behind this work. Despite the subject matter's long history, there still remains many objections to this practice, so my aim is to shed light on the perspective of the individual's are allocating energy to this artistic endeavor. By doing so, I hope I can add some context to the greater cultural dialogue regarding sexuality by challenging how nudity is perceived in our society from the viewpoints of these creatives. My guest in this episode is a model and photographer that goes by the name The Inertia Creeps. This is actually the second time I've interviewed her, with the first time being for Soda Pop Magazine on their Instagram Live. This is where I was first exposed to Inertia and her work, and I had such a good time getting to know her that I thought she would make a great guest for this show. After listening to this episode while getting it ready to publish, I feel I was right. There are so many great anecdotes throughout our conversation. For example, she tells the story about how she got her 666 tattoos. There's embarrassing childhood moments with her grandma. And even a story about her side hustle during high school to buy nachos. The side hustle has to do with her drawings. And that's all. I'll, I'll, that is Blah. That's all I'll say in this intro, but there are a lot of really entertaining moments in this episode and all of them build on one another to create a very fascinating picture of inertia. Whether talking about how her passion for modeling has established itself in the past year, despite doing it for six years, her own photography being an icon as opposed to an object, or the hardships in being raised by her immigrant mother and grandparents, there is a lot in this episode. Because of this, my suggestion, as usual, is to sit back, relax, and let what the inertia creeps has to say sink in. You're actually in school right now. So even though you're a model and you also do photography as well, you are heavily mm-hmm. invested in a completely different aspect of the world. Uh, and I was just wanting to know if you could start there. Yeah, so... Um Yeah, I'm a student. Um, It's very opposite of my modeling because it's it's a science major. Well, I'm a a physics major. Um, It's not a very sexy major, Um, but it's a it's a really good one. Um, I feel like I, I learn a lot about life and kind of I don't know. I feel like being in this major helps me find balance in art and in kind of being able to problem solve and and things like that. I don't know. It's, it's a fun major, but yeah, I've been invested for a while. Um, I've actually changed my major like twice. (laughs) What was your original major? Um, so my mom wanted me to be a registered nurse. Um, I didn't want to be a registered nurse. So I lied to her and told her, Oh yeah, I'm going to school for nursing, but I actually went to school or I took some classes for biology, but I didn't really know what I wanted at the time. Uh, So then I decided to dabble in neurobiology and neurobiology is cool, but chemistry is like 
fucking hard. (laughs) (laughs) It's hella hard. Um, I, oh my God, I struggled so hard with that, but I feel like I also struggled because I didn't know what I actually, actually wanted. Um, but I continued and for any science major, you're required to take a basics, basic physics class. And I took like a physics 101 course and I was really nervous about it because everyone complains about it. Um, but by the end of the semester, I was just so blown away by the subject and I just became super interested by it. And, um, from then on, I changed my major, major to physics and, um, yeah, I'm almost finished with it. I think I have like a year and a half left or so. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> it's, it's been a long journey. <laughs> I'm exhausted. That sounds exhausting to me, but that's also because <laughs> I'm not in any way uh, uh, scientifically minded, or I guess maybe I just haven't found my angle because um, I don't want to necessarily shortchange myself, but <laughs> Dude. Yeah. Like, okay. When I was in high school, I did not think that I was a science person at all. I was actually really bad at math. Um, I had to take like the lowest algebra in high school. Um, I I was really bad. I didn't take a single science class in high school because, uh, the high school I went to didn't have the funding for it. Um, so yeah, I didn't take, (laughs) I didn't take any science classes. So by the time I got to college, I just, I feel like I, did the nursing and biology thing more to uh, get the approval of my mom. <laughs> you had a passion, you have a passion for physics and it, mm-hmm. it seems very much like nursing and uh, you know, these things are related or in these things would actually be something that a parent would approve of like physics. Why, why yeah. did you have a, a sense that they wouldn't approve of physics, but they would of the other sciences or nursing? Well, for my mom, she's um, from the Philippines. And so a lot of uh, Filipino immigrants, like the stereotype is that they get into nursing or they work at a postal office. <laughs> I, didn't, so she, I didn't know when that. She, <laughs> when she came here, she worked as a registered nurse. And so for her, that's all she knew what success was. And that's what a lot of um, Filipino immigrants like kind of, except as success is becoming like a nurse. Um, so that's what she taught me. And like, I'm a first generation, uh, student. So I didn't really understand college and like how it works. Um, I actually almost went to a freaking, uh, tech school, like, like healed college or something because I, I, I didn't know how higher education works. Uh, so I decided to go to biology because people that usually go into biology, go into med, med, med school. Um, so I picked that because it was kind of like a compromise, but she didn't really understand. So when I changed my major to physics and told her, the first thing she said is, what, what is physics? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> she had no idea what it was. So um, I just, and I still tell her till this day, um, I'm like, oh, um, it's, it's engineering. You know, I get to work at Google if I get my degree. And she's just like, oh, you're going to be an engineer. Okay. Okay. And she's like totally down for it. <laughs> so then what is your <laughs> ultimate goal with the physics degree? Is it to go to <laughs> Google or is that kind of something that you say to appease your, your, your mom in a way or to, you know, make her not worry, I guess would be a better way to put I it. I mean, Google would be fun. Cause they have like really good food there apparently. 
<laughs> but um, I would want to get into research or I don't know if this is even possible considering that I'm doing like nude, nude modeling, but with teaching, but I'm also minoring in mathematics. So that's also kind of like my secret passion is um, mathematics. Yeah. That isn't something to be, uh, I guess, worried about uh, is a, a, a passion for mathematics. That seems like it would be praised quite a bit. I mean, yeah, it's like, what can you do with it? But there's actually a lot. It's just, it's kind of weird based on the type of math you get into. But yeah, I don't tell my mom about the math because I know she's going to be like, what, how do you get a job with mathematics? You know, see, like what goes through my mind right now is you, you know, you were worried about telling your mom about a physics major and a biology major and a math minor. That would be the <laughs> thing that every, most people I know would be happy to tell their parents. So that's kind of like yeah. the a kind of an opposite ex, of experience, you know, as, as it seems like, you know, people I know that, that would uh, come in contact that I'd come in contact with. But that, I think that says also something like you were talking about being a um, first generation, uh, you know, um, Filipino American, and it, it yeah. speaks to kind of that background. So what did your, upbringing then look like? Um, my upbringing. So um, <clears throat> my upbringing. So I was basically raised by like my grandparents on my mom's side who are straight from the Philippines, like from the freaking jungle <laughs> Philippines. Um, they moved here to the U S up until the time I was like, like five, six years old to the time I was 14 and they took care of me and my brother. And yeah, it, it was interesting. We, we basically grew up in San Jose, California. Um, and my, my grandparents relied heavily on my mom when it came to like navigating throughout the U S like talking to people, they didn't know how to take the bus. They didn't, they didn't understand a lot of things. And so when my brother and I came older, they, they would depend on us like on really weird things. Like, <laughs> I have this weird story about, um, my grandmother losing the TV remote and she like went all around the neighborhood looking for it. <laughs> it was really embarrassing. Okay. So I'm in elementary school and in the Philippines, it's common for like family members or yeah, family members to come with you to school and to like be in the classroom setting or just in the class area. And you mean like a parent would come with their child and actually be there and observe like, yeah, they would like be there, observe, babysit, whatever. And there would be like animals running around, like in the Philippines, like there's fucking chickens and like random ass cats and dogs everywhere. And so I had a dog at the time and my grandmother would walk me to school and she would bring my dog and she would actually walk me inside the class with the dog. And (laughs) I would like go into class, sit down and my dog would be right there, like at my desk, like elementary school. And the teacher would be like, what is going on? Like, why is there a dog in here? And my grandmother would just like sit in the back of the classroom and just like watch. And, um, the teacher would get so mad and it actually became an issue. And my mom had to talk to the principal. And so they were like, okay, well, it's clear that you don't like the elementary school teacher either. 
So they switched me to a class uh, where the teacher was actually um, Filipino and Chinese. And she was, she was more flexible about those things, right? Like mm-hmm. she was more understanding and she actually became like a really close um, family friend to my family and to a lot of like immigrant families in that area. And it was, it was really sweet, but that's, that's basically the gist of how like uh, out of, out of touch my, my grandma was with American culture. So one time I invited a friend over from middle school and she came over and she was like of a different ethnic background. <laughs> and my, my grandma, like never really seen that. I think the girl was like, I think she was like Mexican or something like that. And, uh, my grandma would always watch like these Filipino TV shows and she would have the remote and she like left it somewhere or something. And she went and did her errands while me and my friend were toying around in the living room. And I told my grandma, Oh, we're going to go to a boys and girls club. And she goes, okay. And so we leave. And then, um, I come, no, I'm at boys and girls club with my friend and we're like playing around and I see my grandma walking into the boys and girls club, like in slippers and like, a dr- like her moo, like her dress <laughs> and growing up. And to this day, they call me Ning Ning. What is it? <laughs> and she's like Ning Ning. Yeah, like N I N G. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, what does like, that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I'm like 24 years old. I still don't know what that means. You never bothered to ask. <laughs> I asked them. They're like, that's just your name. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's like, Ning Ning, where's the remote? And I'm like, grandma, I, why are you at boys and girls club? She's like, your friend stole the remote. And I was like, <laughs> and she like grabbed the mic, the, the calm thing, the, I don't know what it's called. Like and the, she like the intercom for the, yeah, <laughs> the intercom. And she was like yelling at the, like the teenagers working at the desk at the boys and girls club. And she was <laughs> demanding that the remote be returned. And I was just like, Oh my God, kill me. And my friend was so traumatized because my grandma was like, that's her. She's the one that stole the remote. And, I was, <laughs> and she's just kind of looking around sort of yes. clueless uh, and that so you seem to uh well obviously being able to look back on it is a lot easier than being in the moment but like what was your reaction to it i mean i assume it's embarrassment but were you were you pretty <laughs> chill like about all of that and or was it like it was i know for some people who grow up in you know a different those two different cultures and have to balance those it's something that they kind of feel an element of shame about, you know, like an embarrassment. Did you feel that oh, way? Oh God. Yeah. I was so ashamed and I knew that I was going to lose my friend. <laughs> and that's basically what happened. Like she was yelling at the little girl, like we're freaking 11 years old or something. And she's yelling at this girl in Tagalog and I'm telling my grandma to calm down and they kick us out. And so me and my grandma are walking home <laughs> And we get back to our place and my grandpa uh, starts yelling at my grandma and was like, the remote was in the couch. And she was like, oh, well, Justine, you shouldn't hang out with her anymore. And I'm just like, it was still your friend's fault. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's so embarrassing, but I I love my grandparents. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, I don't think I have any, I don't have any stories like that. Unfortunately, I wish I did uh, from my childhood. 
but <laughs> oh and um in the philippines it's very common to like have a farm and like roosters mm-hmm. and my grandpa used to have like cockfights in our backyard um other like filipinos and like vietnamese people would come over and they would all like gamble and do the cockfights and my my grandpa would actually um he would have me uh skin like chicken and goats mm-hmm. <laughs> to help like to make food like Filipino food. And so I learned how to do that at a really young age, but it's kind of weird because it was like in a backyard in San Jose, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So nasty. So then, uh, do you still make uh Filipino food? No, I'm actually like, I don't eat meat. I haven't eaten meat in like, um, six years, but I eat fish. So I'm a pescatarian. Okay. Uh, so then, your mom, you 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 know, you said you were raised quite a bit by your grandparents. Where was your mom in this? Was she working or? Oh yeah, so my mom was working full time. She was like the only one supporting us. Um, when you say yeah, us, I your dad. grandparents and you, she was. Yeah, it was my grandparents, me, and my brother. Um, so she was basically like a single mom. My dad wasn't in the picture for a really long ass time. But yeah, she, she was working as a nurse and she would be gone for like days at a time because of her job. Oh, wow. That has to be, that had to have been kind of difficult. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty difficult because I, I really ever saw my mom and when she did, or when I would see her, she'd be really exhausted. Yeah, I would imagine <laughs> yeah, having to work, <laughs> constantly work and then. Yeah. Support, supporting the family. Uh, so then you said, where, where was your dad during this time? You said he kind of was out of the picture for a while and then he eventually came. Do you have a relationship with him now or? Um, I don't, well, I actually, I do have a relationship with my dad. It's kind of like a healing relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, let's see when I was a baby, he like basically disappeared for a while because he has like his issues. And then he was in jail for a while. And then, so I didn't really, um, actually see my dad, like have him as a dad until I was like 14 years old. So I, I like, I grew up, um, basically with just my mom, my grandparents and like all these like random Filipinos that would just come over to the house and help take care of us. Um, because it's like, I think for like the Southeast Asian culture, there's a lot of, um, like it's like a collective community versus here in America. It's very individual, very independent, very like when you're 18, you move out and you do all these things yourself versus what I've, what I've grown up with in the Philippines is that you always have family with you, like literally like living with you all the time. (laughs) Yeah. It'd be suffocating though. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, but I think that there's, there's, is something about it though that uh, is, is really beautiful. Not only that, I think it also, um, there is, there's a joy in it that you can't have as being kind of this isolated autonomous person. You have to have that community, I think. And I, I think that's something that we even lack quite a bit. So. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah. And because you, you mentioned that you grew up in a big, uh, Filipino and in Vietnamese kind of East Asian community. Um, mm-hmm. how much, how much of an impact has 
kind of being in those two different worlds, how much of an impact has that had on you? Do you think? Um, it's, it's been like an experience. Um, I would even say, especially in my modeling, because, um, you rarely ever see like other ethnic models. And so with that being said, growing up, you rarely ever saw representation. So I went through a lot of uh, levels of like self-hate about how I looked. Um, and I would try to conceal it by not talking about my ethnic background. If people asked me like, Oh, what are you? I would just say I'm human. Or I would say something that's like very, um, just generic, just generic. And when I was a teenager, it just got worse. And I would actually try to like conceal that identity uh, from people. And I would not want to invite friends over because I was worried they would like make fun of me or make fun of the food I ate or make fun of my mom because her English, I mean, she, she speaks good English in my opinion, but for a lot of other people, she sounds like a foreigner. Uh, You're just a very heavy accent probably. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a very interesting thing. Um, but now it's more accepted. I think seeing other, uh, figures, actors, models, whatever, like of different ethnic background. And I, and I think it's like, finally, right. Like, Oh yeah. Jesus. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I think that's, um, not, I'm, try, I'm trying to think of I guess, a way to say it that doesn't, doesn't sound, <laughs> uh, so blunt, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I enjoy seeing the diversity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, um, I've always been fascinated by other cultures and, um, and so, you know, I think the thing is I, I grew up in a really big, um, Catholic community and the whole concept that I was raised with was that everybody is your brother and your sister. Yeah. And it was completely irrelevant what your, what your background was, what you looked like and what your, you know, socioeconomic status was, um, so hearing kind of these stories, hearing these stories that you're talking about, um, they're just way too common and it's really sad. That's great. So you're, you're, you were raised Catholic. Um, is that like, I don't know how to ask this question, but isn't it like the Irish people are Catholic? Like, or, uh, no, well, actually there's, um, from what I understand, even a large Filipino, uh, Catholic, I think, in the Philippines, I think it's like 97% Catholic. Yeah. I, I grew up Catholic for a really long time. Actually. I was, I used to be very religious. Yeah. Well, actually that was a question that I, I had for you and I'll, I'll answer your question, but I, I wanted to ask that question towards you, but yeah. So, um, Catholicism, I think is, it's the largest religion in the world. Yeah. Being from Cincinnati, Ohio, my mom's side of the family is all German and oh i see yeah so very german catholic in cincinnati and yeah there's uh and then my dad's side is just kind of a bunch of different things but i know my my great grandma came over from belgium and you know but european so yeah but oh wow that's really cool yeah so then you mentioned though that you grew up catholic and you were very religious at a very religious background Mm-hmm. Um, can, can you talk, uh, about that? Cause I, I mean, I know being raised in a very conservative background, it's, 
it's very, uh, there's a pretty big contrast between the worlds that we are in now and, um, that world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you could give us kind of a background in regards to that, uh, that would be, that'd be great. So yeah, Filipino culture, um, very Catholic, like scary Catholic, <laughs> um, like God fearing Catholic, um, so when my grandparents moved here, they really established that in our culture. And I would go to church every Sunday with my grandparents. I prayed every night. I just, I did the whole thing. Like I really, truly believed in all of that. Um, well, not to, not to cut you off, but I, isn't it in the Philippines where during Good Friday, you know, the, like right before Easter, they have, they actually have somebody like walk with the cross and they actually like crucify him. Yeah. Something like that. I, I know it's something really gruesome and scary. Yeah. I mean, it's so just to give for people who don't know, I mean, it's like pretty hardcore. Yeah. It's, it's hardcore. Um, they show like a lot of like blood and like a lot of suffering. And that really freaked me out as a kid. And actually, um, created like a phobia for me of churches. Like I actually didn't like to go into churches from the time I was like 13 to like 20 years old. I, every time I would see a church or even go inside of it, I would start to feel like really nauseous and I would kind of get like an anxiety attack. <laughs> yeah. With the association of like blood and, and gore. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's insane. But yeah, I used to be Catholic. I, I used to take it really seriously. I used to believe in um, like heaven and hell, but in the way that Catholicism described it. But when I was, I would say, I think maybe when I was like 13, my mom got into a car accident and it was, it was like a life and death, ex life or death experience. And it, that freaked me out because literally the only prayer I would ever make from the time I was a child to that time was please like make sure my mom gets home safe. Like that was it. That's all I ever prayed for. And when it didn't happen, um, that just turned my world upside down and it actually turned my mom's world upside down. She actually stopped being a Catholic too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I don't, I think she's agnostic. I think, for me, I'm just whatever. I just kind of like live life yeah. as it is. But yeah, people usually assume that I don't understand religion or like I've never had that experience because I have 666 tattooed on me. <laughs> <laughs> Which we talked about in the interview when we, with Soda Pop. We'll, 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 we'll uh, touch on that because it's a pretty good story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I went through all waves of trying to um, discover like what works best for me. And at the end of the day, it's like, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is, you know, the basic rules of physics and kind of like how life came about scientifically, but philosophically, I don't know. But I'm always curious to learn about what other people think and, and their philosophies on life. And, uh, actually you mentioned that you studied philosophy, right? Yeah. So like what, what kind of philosophy 
did you study? Like, I've always been curious about that because when people say, Oh, I really like philosophy. It's like, what, like, where do you go from there? Like what kind of philosophy? Ooh. Um, so this is kind of like, I guess, you know, there's so many different schools of philosophy. Mm -hmm. I think the way that I would probably break it down, um, for someone who's trying to, uh, trying to access it, you know, kind of fresh is, um, would be the same way I would say to access kind of anything that you're interested in. It's, It's to start really at the question that you have and what you'll find. And I'm sure you did with physics as well, is that when you have that initial question and you try and find an answer, you get something Mm -hmm. and it's like, Oh wow. Okay. I get this. And then you kind of keep going and then it gets like more and more nuanced. And then you realize that answer was contingent upon something that came before it. And that there's this whole world that opens up that feels incredibly daunting and overwhelming. And it's just kind of like this never ending, uh, just, just never ending information. And so that's what I kind of tell people when, in regards to anything, it's like, what's the right way to go about it? I, I don't know if there's a right way. I think the right way is just the the way that interests you because that's the, that's, what's going to stick. But, um, Interesting. that's kind of my attitude towards it or my philosophy, <laughs> my philosophy, so to say. <laughs> but I, I think that when it, it's interesting, when it really all kind of boils down to it, a lot of the questions that philosophers are still going over still have to do, uh, in large part, uh, they still all kind of relate back to Aristotle to a very large degree. So I, I think what they're all essentially s- struggling with, though, is the question as to whether or not life has meaning in the sense that the way that Aristotle put it is, does essence precede existence or does existence precede essence, which just means mm. were we created for a purpose, mm-hmm. which means like our essence existed before we existed or <gasps> does, or does the, our purpose, do we create our purpose? So that's a good question. What do you, what do you think? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. So I identify as being agnostic um, because people who are atheists believe that God doesn't exist and people who mm-hmm. are religious believe God does exist. For me, it kind of sounds like it, I know it, a cheap way out, but for me, I just, um, the reality is I just don't know and I'm not going to make a decision. So I kind of, I explore both thoughts personally. So, and I think that's kind of what people have to do is you have to, I challenge myself with, I ask what's the best argument for this and what's the best argument against that. And I don't want to try to make sense of it. I, I actually agree with that. Um, even as a science major, um, it's not, it's actually not very scientific to rule everything out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, not. it's what's really interesting too, is even just the impact science had on philosophy, because, you know, when I mentioned does essence, you know, the essence and existence thing, it wasn't until science and, um, it wasn't until science that people actually really started questioning if it was a good way to go about having an answer or an essence that preceded the existence. 
So, Whoa. so yeah, so they try to go about it as, you know, kind of like in a very empirical way. And there's a whole schools of thought of like logical empiricists and, um, you know, stuff like that. So yeah, it's, they're, they're very much, they have a lot of crossover because the first philosophical questions were actually scientific in a lot of respects. So, yeah, they were. And that, I think that's why, um, I actually really love math is because I, it's very philosophical. There's actually a question about that. It's like, which came, like, did humans discover math or was math always there? Yeah. Is it just like yeah, a law that existed that preceded, you know, our existence? And Interesting. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And that's ultimately when it comes down to it, though, like no one can answer the the most philosophical question of all, which is like, why do we exist as opposed yeah. to why do we not exist? I, I think that's one of the reasons that's one of the most compelling reasons for the existence of God is why is there something instead of nothing? Um, but that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like we're, we're, um, I guess that's what makes us so human, right? Like we need to find purpose in everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of even philosophies that are based on, on that, uh, like existentialism kind of really mm-hmm. tackles that quite a bit, but yeah, it's, it's really, it is pretty interesting in my opinion, but, um, yeah, like I said, it kind of just, you could kind of keep going, <laughs> but yeah, but I, we kind of are, are getting off track from you. Um, <laughs> which is what I, I want to talk about. Uh, but obviously I'm, we can, we can take this any way we want. I, it's a, you know, conversation, uh, really, but I was interested though. You, you mentioned, you know, your mom getting into an accident. You said you were, uh, an accident. You were 13. Did you say? Yeah. Um, and that kind of had a big effect on, on you because as you, as you said, you would pray every day that your mom came home until one day she, she didn't. Yeah. Oh my God. Crazy. How often do you think about that moment? How much was it a turning point in your life? Um, it was a turning point for us because the accident that she got into, the guy died. And so that launched us into just huge, like a huge amount of debt and like legal trouble. Um, it was really hard for my mom because it was just her. And at the time my grandparents had went back to the Philippines. And so she was figuring out the legal system on her own as essentially a foreigner. And my brother and I were in high school and, you know, our dad was around, but he wasn't, he wasn't really the best. So it was really tough. And, um, that like the accident actually gave me like a sort of a phobia of cars I wouldn't say like I became like afraid of cars, but I was definitely more anxious about it than like a normal person. And so with that being said, I stopped being a Catholic, like almost like the day after I was just so angry. I was, I was so angry, like at the religion. I was so angry at the fact that I believed in it. And I explored so many other religions after that. Like I read about Buddhism, Dalai Lama, um, Christianity, just so many, like all these like different kinds of religions. And then I found so cheesy, like, this is so like teenager, right? Like 
I found Satanism and I was just, yeah, I went through a phase. I went through a Marilyn Manson phase. Um, (laughs) And I found that and I was really interested and, oh my God, I was so edgy. You know, I think, yeah, it's like what you said. It's just, it's pretty, it's very teenager. No, but that, but it's interesting though, that you kept on, you have, you had a desire to explore though, you know, cause there, there was that reaction to a pretty awful occasion. Like you said, you were, you were alone and trying to figure things out and, uh, something that was completely foreign to you and your mom and you didn't mm-hmm. have the support of your grandparents. Um, yeah. I, I can, ima- I can only imagine the the difficulty that how like the stress and the anxiety that was probably kind of always there and you didn't quite know how it was going to turn out oh yeah it was it was super tough and I felt bad for my mom because um, she really needed the support of some family but the only people that were there was literally just us everyone was in the Philippines and I my sister was there but she had her own life I mean that's not to say she was bad or anything. It's just, it was really complicated. So yeah, like I, I tried to find purpose in what happened and what a lot of things were happening in my life. And so I would just keep reading all these books about different religions because that's what I basically grew up with. And, um, I never found one. Uh, I would, I guess I would say like science has become something that, I find purpose in like, even now, I think, I think the subject has shaped my perspective on like what life is and what it can be and what it shouldn't be. Uh, can you say that again? The, the, it's shaped your, Oh, it shaped my perspective on life so that I don't necessarily need religion, but I'm not going to bash it. Like I'm not, I'm not those people that bash religions. Like actually one, one time in my, uh, one of my physics courses, we were having a lab and it was like such the cringiest conversation I've ever heard. But these two people were just like making fun of somebody like that they know in their friend circle about how this person was so interested in art and like the humanities and they believed in like this certain religion and they were just making fun of this dude. And I just thought that was so pretentious and arrogant and most importantly, ignorant, Mm -hmm. just so uneducated. I feel like, I feel like even if you're a science major, you need to have like some sort of appreciation for like cultural anthropology or something. Like I feel like they all need to take that class. Yeah. (laughs) learn some basic humanity, but yeah. So that being said, like I, I don't hate on religions as long as it doesn't hurt anyone or take any like basic human rights from people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would assume that your background, you seem to have quite a bit of sympathy for, um, people who are maybe kind of outsiders. Cons- oh yeah. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, and which is incredible because you can obviously empathize, uh, you know, just beyond sympathy, you can, you know what it's like to be in that, those shoes. So, which is a pretty powerful position to be in, 
you seem to have gone through all of it in a very, in a pretty healthy way. Like you, there isn't, there doesn't seem to be like a bitterness of, of all of these things. Yeah. I try, I try to not be bitter. It's hard sometimes. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I really try to kind of maintain a soft side. Um, Sometimes it's not there. Sometimes it is, but yeah, it's, yeah. The world is very tough and annoying and frustrating, but I try my best. (laughs) Yeah. What now, how, what year was this? Like you said, you were 13 when the accident happened. What, what year, I guess, what, what year were you born just to give us kind of a a time frame to all of this? Oh, I was born in 1994. So I think like when, like the year, like Kurt Cobain died. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think so. I would, that wouldn't have popped into my head, but that's definitely a a good way for people to remember it. (laughs) Like guys, when Kurt Cobain died. So then you had this experience, uh, with your mom being in the accident and you, uh, were religious and you kind of fell away and explored, even had a quote unquote Marilyn Manson phase. (laughs) Okay. maybe, Maybe this is a good point to, uh, tell the story of the 666 because I know it refers to <laughs> your high, uh, high school experience, right? Oh God. Yes. <laughs> so you're asking about my tattoos, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So when I was in high school, I was not a good student at all. I was a stoner. I went to like raves. I was just such an asshole of a, a teenager. I was such a such a dick like holy shit i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to handle my teenage self right now i'd probably get into a fight with my teenage self um yeah so i was always wanting to be edgy and i would do really stupid shit with my friends i had a lot of friends that would experiment with like drugs like they would do acid or lsd or something like that and um i remember i had a friend i think his name was kyle but he was on acid and like some other drug. And I remember sitting next to him. We were just hanging out with other friends and his hand was bleeding. And I looked over at his hand and he was carving 666 where the numbers were overlapping each other, like spiraling on top of each other. And the first thing I said to him was, oh, my God, that is fucking sick. (laughs) And he looks at me and his pupils are like fucked up. He's sweating. And he was just like, what did you say? And I was like, that is so cool. What is that? And he was like, it's it's a 666. It's the beast, man. And I'm like, that is so cool. I was like, Kyle, can you draw that on a piece of paper for me? And he like drew on a piece of paper and his hand is like bleeding, infected, And I look at him and I'm like, I'm going to get this tattooed when I turn 18. And he just like shrugged. And a year later, I turn 18. I go to the tattoo parlor with my friends and I show them the drawing and I get my tattoos done to one of my favorite like Marilyn Manson albums. That, uh, that's, that's a pretty surreal story. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, now I want to like, I want to find the Marilyn Manson album. It was, oh my God, it was so cool. I was such a badass. 
<laughs> so then you say that in the past tense. You don't consider yourself a badass now. You know, I'm a calculated badass now. <laughs> that's that's fair. Yeah, I think that's smart. I, I, I will plan the badassery. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh I guess I would you would relate it to like more of like a a sniper. It's like completely oh calculated. God, yes. As yes. opposed to just like a a bomb. <laughs> yeah, like a machine gun. It's yeah. like a sniper or or a gun with a silencer. <laughs> oh man. So so then you turn 18 and you get your 666 tattoo and uh, did you go to school uh, right away after high school? Uh, did oh, you go no, to college? I, I didn't know how college worked. And a lot, and the people might like the town that I was in, like college wasn't really a thing that everyone went to. Everyone basically like got a job like in fast food or in retail or working at a factory or something agriculture related. I basically uh, went like I had high school in the Central Valley. Mm-hmm. It really sucked. <laughs> I don't know personally. I don't know anything about um, California. So when you say, "Oh, that's right, yeah." So why did the Central Valley suck? The Central Valley sucks because it's like this part of California where it's just agriculture. It's far away from like all of like San Francisco. I would say Sacramento. Sacramento is a central Valley. Like people can pretend it's not, it is. Um, it's just like far away from everything. And so that being said, there's like not a lot of like cosmopolitan areas and there's a lot of poverty And the central Valley is also kind of like where Fresno is. And Fresno is like the meth capital is the what capital, the meth capital. Oh, I didn't know that. So just wow, I, not a, po- I not a positive that, place. Not a positive place. Like I, I literally just said like, oh, it's the meth capital. And right now, like as we're talking, I'm like fucking around with foil from this chocolate bar I ate. <laughs> so it's association. <laughs> and I'm like rolling it like, like a pipe. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. And I just said that. <laughs> So then what did you do then after high school uh, till uh, now being in your in the Central Valley and did you, were you trying to escape or were you just kind of hanging out? Oh my God. I really wanted to get the fuck out of there. Um, wait, am I allowed to curse on this? Or no? Yeah, absolutely. You can say whatever you want. Okay. I really wanted to get the fuck out of Manteca. That's, that's a town that I lived in, Manteca, California. It fucking sucked. Um, I hated it. Like a lot of people were racist there. There were like barely any jobs. People were always on drugs. So when I graduated high school, I was 17. Um, I graduated like a year, a year early, like for normal age, because my grandmother enrolled me into kindergarten really early for some reason. But, um, after high school, I worked like two jobs. I worked at a Wiener schnitzel and at a Japanese bistro. Okay. So we're talking like, uh, 2011. I think. Okay. In that time, in that time period. In that time period. Yeah. Like post MySpace. Okay. And, uh, you start working in the restaurant industry. Oh yeah. Uh, fast food sucks. I hated it. 
Oh my gosh. I did not enjoy that. I enjoyed working at a sushi bistro because the chef who was actually from Japan, he, he would make me rolls to take home and seaweed salad. And it was like so delicious. And I was his only waitress. So it was like a small place. Yeah, it was like family, like mom and pa owned. So then how did you get to school? Like what, how is, what is that time frame then between um, after high school and you were working uh, and you're in San Francisco now, right? Yes. So, and so how did, how did you get to where you are now? So I was working like two jobs when I was like 17, 18. And at the time I had a boyfriend, um, who had a pretty normal life. Um, his parents were successful. They were both like real estate agents. So they, you know, they had it really well. And for me, um, my family at the time, like we had been on welfare for like four years, like we were really struggling. And that's why I was actually working two jobs, but I became really close with his parents. And I remember they would always like encourage my ex at the time to go to college. And I didn't really know how college worked. And they would always say, Oh, like they would tell me like, Oh, you should go to school. And I'm just like, where do you even go for that? And I asked my mom about it. And she says to me, Oh, I've heard about these colleges from my nursing friends who are like, um, their moms and these colleges really work around their schedules. And so One week, my mom took me to a bunch of these, quote, colleges when they were just vacational schools, like Heald College, Carrington College, Unitech. I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm sitting there, right? And these people are telling me, oh, if you complete like this program in this amount of weeks, you can get a certificate and start working immediately. And my mom would ask, how much does it cost? And of course it's like unbelievably expensive. It's ridiculous. And even I at the time knew that was like a scam. And I told my mom, I was like, it's like, this is not worth it. And she was like, no, you got to do this. You you, you can be a nurse in like 16 weeks or some shit like that. And I was like, no, that, that doesn't make sense. And I kind of had to explain to her kind of like, I don't know. I think for her, she didn't really understand like why it was bad. And even now she still doesn't understand why these colleges are like, they take advantage of students or people who are kind of like desperate to like get a job fast. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I said no to that and just continued working. And, um, my ex's parents showed me how to enroll into a college and where to go for college. And I basically went from there and thank goodness I did. Like I, I would be so fucked if I actually went to one of those tech schools. Is that how you got to San Francisco? So I got into San. So I had lived in the Central Valley, and I was going to college there. And I basically moved to the Bay Area once, like I broke up with my my ex at the time, and met somebody from the area of like San Francisco area. And plus, ever since, like, okay, so I guess you don't know where San Jose is, right? Well, yeah, I mean, kind of. Like, San Jose is in the Bay Area. So I I was born in Santa Clara and have lived in San Jose for much of my life. 
And then my mom decided to move us to the Central Valley where housing is cheaper. And so for like three to four years, I lived in the Central Valley. And I was so desperate to go back to the Bay Area because it's such a different, different culture. So fucking different. Um, so by the time I was like 18, 19, I was like saving money. I bought, I bought myself a used car. I was, I was hell bent on getting the fuck out of there. And so when I started like a romantic relationship with somebody from, you know, from the Bay area, it was kind of like, Oh, like this is a plus. And it was like even more of a drive to move back to the Bay area. And so the, the person that I moved in with was into photography and that's how I got into modeling. Okay. So then, uh, one of your, did you say it was an ex or did you say it was someone that you're still with? Still with partner now. Yeah. Okay. Your partner. So your partner is into photography and Mm -hmm. this is kind of the gateway to becoming a model. (laughs) Yeah. The gateway drug. Yeah. That's (laughs) a familiar story. My wife's kind of the the same way. Not that she models like professionally or anything, but yeah, by default. Oh yeah. So then, then how did that start? Your, your modeling. So he basically hired me because he wanted to practice his studio lighting and he wanted to do boudoir, boudoir. I don't know how, boudoir. 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 That's how I'd say it. (laughs) He needed a model and I took it because hello, like I was getting paid and I've never done it before, but I just, I just said, fuck it. Like this is Craigslist. You can do anything. So So you met on Craigslist? Yeah. Oh, wow. (laughs) yeah not model mayhem (laughs) (laughs) so he hires me and I take bar and I get over there we meet and it's fun and we got along really well um and after that he hired me like a couple of times and we just became really good friends and we clicked and ended up getting into a relationship and in all of that he tells me Hey, you know, um, have you ever heard of this website called Mayhem Models? Um, These models that I photographed for my old um, online store, they told me that they get their work from there. And I don't know that that might be useful for you. So I Googled it and I found the website and I thought, oh, why not? Like, I'll sign up for it. I have pictures. Like, I don't know where this is going to take me. So I remember I was on a computer. I was on a computer at his place and I was signing up for model mayhem and the website asks, what name do you want? Right. I was sitting there. I'm just like listening to music. I'm listening to massive attack and, um, inertia creeps comes up and I'm like watching the music video. I was like, Oh, this is like really fucking sick. Like this is a tight ass music video. Like it's crazy. And I was just like inertia creeps. I just typed in inertia creeps and I was like, all right, that's just going to be my name for now. Like, I might change it. I don't know. And that's basically how it all happened. And what year was that? Shoot. I think I was like 18 and a half, 19 years old. So that's like 2012, 2013? Yeah. Okay. And you've been inertia creeps ever since. (laughs) Yeah. For like six, five, five and a half, six years. So then... I feel like you glossed over a little bit of the story considering (laughs) you said that you were on Craigslist. Why were you on Craigslist (laughs) looking for modeling jobs? 
<laughs> uh, <laughs> I wasn't looking for a modeling job. <laughs> I was looking for anything that pays money. <laughs> so that you, so that's what it was is you were trying to find figure out a way to to make some money and support yourself and you saw this opportunity on Craigslist. Yes, I was freaking desperate for like a job, money. Um, oh my God, we were really struggling. Basically, to to explain, my mom and I were the only ones supporting like m- me, my brother, herself, my dad. Like we we were the only ones working. Yeah, it was just you me, said my mom. you were working two jobs and mm-hmm. yeah. So desperate times calls for desperate measures. But I found an ad that was like. Hey, looking for someone that is down to do boudoir, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'll pay you. And I responded to it and I'm like, Hey, I've never done it before, but I'm totally down. And that's basically how it happened. Can you explain what was going through your head? Uh, you know, was, I assume there was nervousness and even possibly apprehension. Like what did, what was that experience like? (laughs) I was so nervous the day, like, the day of, I actually brought like a pepper spray and a pocket knife. Like I was so fucking nervous. Yeah. Craigslist doesn't have a really good reputation. No, especially (laughs) too. You're not, you're not talking about like the dawn of Craigslist either. This is like you said, 2013. Yeah. Oh (laughs) Lord. So I go there and it's in Emeryville and I'm just like freaking out. Like, Oh my God, is this guy going to be like this? gross ass motherfucker and I'm waiting in front of like these expensive looking apartments and I'm like smoking a cigarette just nervous and he comes down and he literally looks like fucking Ben Stiller and Steve Carell combined (laughs) 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 now you knew that you had that like I assume this has been discussed before you've, you've brought this up before to him because like yes. you, you have that pretty much right. You have that ready to go. I'm ben Stiller ready. And I'm ready. Steve Carell. Yeah. Yep. The whole nine yards, meet the fuckers, um, <laughs> the office, like I can go on, but he comes down and I'm just like, Oh God, it's a normal person. Holy shit. And he looks like Ben Stiller and Steve Carell combined. Ooh, that was a close one. Like dodged a bullet there. Yeah. And he comes down and he's like dressed hella stylish. He's like wearing Converse, like black jeans, black t-shirt. And he's just like, Oh, nice to meet you. And he's like, you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. And I was just like, Oh, fuck you. Like in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) So we go upstairs and literally like we're going up the elevator and I'm really nervous. And he's like really friendly. (laughs) He lets me in and (laughs) I'm like looking around in his condo for like potential escape routes because I was so nervous. Yeah. <laughs> but he he was super nice. His place was really clean. Um very stylish. And he was like he had his like iPad ready with all these like photo examples, like showing me like, oh, this is this is what I do. I did photojournalism, blah, blah, blah. Um, I want to do this with the lighting. And it was very like innocent, like very, very innocent, just bodyscapes. It wasn't even really boudoir, actually. It was more just bodyscapes. And I was like, okay, I'm down. And oh my God, I was so nervous. So he sets up like 
all the studio equipment and it's like actual studio stuff. And I come out and I'm like nude and I'm just like, whoa, I'm naked. That like how how long did it take for you to become comfortable? <sighs> well, ever since I was a young child, I've had I've been comfortable around nate like a nude female's body, including myself. So I didn't have a hard time like actually getting nude. Like it wasn't an issue for me. Um, I was very comfortable. I think the only concern I had would be like about my weight. You know, I was very self-conscious. Like I thought like, oh, am I too fat? Am I too chubby or, you know, something like that. But otherwise I was, I was very comfortable with being nude. Um, so that wasn't an issue. I think the only issue was that like I was getting like kind of cold. <laughs> Yeah, which happens. It happens. Yeah. So then what do you attribute that comfortability to? I actually, actually, when I was a child, my grandfather and my dad, well, when my dad was like briefly in our lives, like he would come in and out, but he was like not really there, but he used to collect like playboys and he would leave them around the house and my grandpa from the Philippines would collect like nude like nudie books right like softcore porn books and my brother and I would find them everywhere and we would just like look through them and i remember i would take the playboy magazines and actually start drawing the girls on their like their naked bodies and stuff because i thought it was like really cool um so by the time i got into high school I was drawing like a lot of naked girls <laughs> and that, that actually became like my um, reputation in high school was that I was the girl that knew that knows how to draw really well. And not only can she draw, but she can draw naked girls really well. And people would actually like pay me like $5 to draw like whatever they wanted. And it would be like the nastiest fucking thing. And I would just draw it and I would get my $10 and I would buy nachos after high school, like after school. That's, so then you were kind of exposed to it and obviously some respect this nakedness and this nudity, uh, you kind of were psychologically prepped in a sense, despite not <laughs> having obviously and modeled before it was yeah. kind of almost like, um, a next step. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was, it was like real, real level shit. <laughs> Yeah. When, when I was in high school, I like had no filter. I just drew the weirdest stuff. And, um, I don't know, that was like my thing. And when I was in high school, I was also in uh, JROTC. What is that? I don't know if you know what that is. It's like, it's like basically, it's like a class that is geared to shaping high school students like for the military. Oh, like I think here it's called like uh, like ROTC or something like that. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's, it's, it's ROTC. Yeah. ROTC. Yeah. Um, so I was in that and there's like a lot of dudes in my class. And so I would be just drawing like a ton of pictures of like girls with big boobs, big ass, like vagina. Like I was just drawing all the craziest stuff. And I remember I used to put it in a binder, um, like I would carry all these drawings with me and I would like sell them like to my friends or like to people like that are friends of friends. And I accidentally left the binder 
one like one semester or something like that in the JRTC class. And I remember I came back. It was like graduation, actually. I came back to like return my JRTC uniform and the instructor or teacher was just like, hey, um, this is your binder, isn't it? And he fucking opens it and it's like all my drawings. And he just like looks at me and he's like, why? What was your response? I said, I said, well, they were paying me to do it. And he's like, who is they? And I was like, everyone in this class. And he was like, get this shit out of here. That was, that was my first, my first hustle. You've been hustling ever since. Hustling ever since. I'm still doing it. That, so yeah, this, that, now I'm I'm trying to think of where to go from there because (laughs) I guess my next question would be regarding shame. So did you ever have a sense of shame regarding nakedness or nudity or did your parents or your grandparents, you know, ever convey that it was bad or something dirty or or, did you ever Mm -hmm. have that sense or what, what did you always, was it always kind of just like a, like how you just described? No, like that's the problem. Actually, I had no shame. Um, so after my mom got into the car accident, I really questioned God and I questioned a lot of things, meaning there, like, there were things that I didn't see as wrong anymore. And one of them was masturbation. I was like, that this cannot be wrong. Like, I remember when I first did it and I was like, whoa, there's no way I'm going to hell for this. Like, this is fucking amazing. I was like a teenager. And I'm not going to lie. I was obsessed with porn when I was a teenager. Um, I was really obsessed with it. And <laughs> with that being said, I became very comfortable with like seeing naked bodies and the porn that I watched as a teenager, it wasn't like guy, girl porn. It was usually girl, girl porn. And, um, so yeah, I was totally okay with seeing like naked bodies and I was actually okay with seeing my own naked body, but I was also very uneducated about like how the vagina functions and like what it looks like. And that's actually still like a problem now for a lot of uh, young females. And that's why we have like these really amazing platforms on social media that kind of like talk about uh, female reproductive health. And then you also have like shows that kind of like shed light on it, like um, big mouth on Netflix, you know? Yeah. Um, So, you know, even though I was comfortable with nudity and seeing nudity and seeing my naked self, I didn't really, I wasn't, I wasn't good friends with my, area down there because I, I didn't really know how it functioned and sex ed in high school is just bullshit. Like it's not, it's not educational. It's pretty, um, yeah, pretty much you could, it, it doesn't yeah, serve its, its purpose. It doesn't serve its purpose. And actually my mom was very comfortable with talking about sexuality and talking about like the body because she's a nurse. And so she would talk about like really gross things. Like she would ask like, Oh, like, what are you feeling down there? Like, are you cleaning yourself? Like, like she asked really invasive questions. And so I became very comfortable with that. And so when I was in high school, we, you know, we'd have like our PE or whatever. 
in the locker rooms. And I would always just like walk around naked. And like, I loved it. I loved walking around naked in the locker room, like around other girls. And my friends would be like, yo, like you don't need to walk up and down the hallway, but naked, like <laughs> you can wear a towel. And I'm just like, why? Like, that's what this locker Boring. room is for. Like, no, yeah. Like, like <laughs> Doorsville. <laughs> live a little (laughs) and people thought like I was um I mean I'm not straight but when I was in high school like I used to get in fights with girls because they would think that I was checking them out just because I was like walking around naked in the locker room like going to the shop like this is this is what's stupid like I would go to my locker room I would get undressed and go fucking take a shower and I would walk to the showers naked and they had a problem with that and I'm just like, am I so, and, and everyone else would walk to the shower in their clothes, take, take off their clothes under the shower head, rinse themselves off or whatever. And then put their clothes immediately right back on. And I'm just like, that is so like, that's too much. Like there's no reason why you need to do that. So I would just, I was being practical. I would go to my locker, undress, go take a shower naked, come back naked, dry myself off. It, it's easy, but Um, a lot of people didn't like it and they would call me lesbian and stuff. And it really irritated me because like one, I didn't find any of them attractive. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've always had a very comfortable relationship with nudity and I've always, I guess, I guess I can admit that I've always been a bit of an exhibitionist. So then what was your first experience with nudity and art because you said you were even comfortable with pornography but at what point were you did your fascination with art kind of come about so after i had that first photo shoot that was like the first time i was ever nude and it was like photographed in that way and i was i was blown away like i think every model can relate to this when you have your first photo shoot that's under like studio lights and studio settings, you feel like a fucking God. You feel like, Oh my God, like that's me. Holy crap. And I remember seeing those pictures and just being like, wow, I'm so excited to like have them in my hands. And yeah, I was, I was, I was really stoked about it. But then after that, um, I started working with like photographers that more or less just wanted new pictures, you know, So my journey with nude art has been like up and down, but it, it reached like a consistency when I worked with this photographer who was all about art nudes and he taught me how to model with natural light. And I remember we were like, I think it was half moon Bay or something. No. Yeah. It was half moon Bay, but we were going along the beaches and this was probably like, probably like my fourth shoot. And he's telling me, oh, you need to aim your body this way so the light bounces on you that way and the shadows do this. And he was very detailed. And I just thought, holy crap, like, this is amazing. Like, and he's good. And I've, I've actually worked with him, like, last year, too. What, what is his name? He actually goes by Nat Light Studios. I think you have, don't you have some photos on your Instagram I think I should. Um, and then also I wanted to ask, does your partner, does he still shoot? 
Um, he hasn't shot in a really, really long time. And actually, um, art nudes was never his thing. Um, I was like, I think I'm pretty sure I was his first and only, no, I think I was his first model. But then after that, like, I think after we got into a relationship, like he didn't like photograph that anymore. He just photographed me. Um, but that's because throughout his life, he was actually doing photography, like as a profession. Mm -hmm. What is um, does, for newspapers? Yeah. If you want to bring up names, you can. Um, let's see. I, I want to, I'll need to find, I'll need to find, um, his work where it's like his photography. Cause I only have his Instagram, but it's like, it's like super personal. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I was saying you don't have to, but yeah, if, if he had work that he was trying to promote, feel free to bring that, that up. Um, but yeah, so then you're with your partner, this was kind of really your first, your first journey into nude art. And if, at that point, do you, did you mention that you kind of were sort of in and out of it or uh, like, did it become just a consistent thing? Because I know when we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, you said that you had been doing it for about six years. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah. I, when I asked you at what point did you realize this is what you wanted to commit to? You said it was just a mm -hmm. year ago. Yes. It was just a year ago. So was it kind of inconsistent and kind of dabbling in it for five years? For five, for five years. So I had the shoot with him and I think, I mean, we had other shoots too, but they were like for fun. Right. Yeah. And they're cool. But after that, you know, I made my model mayhem account and I was getting, I was getting work and all of it was paid, but I didn't have any creative control and I didn't really understand who I was at the time. Um, I didn't understand what my intentions were with this. All I knew was that I was happy when I earned money. And so with that being said, it wasn't an artistic endeavor for me at the time. It was um, just kind of a paycheck. Yeah, it was just a paycheck. And yeah, I, I didn't really take it seriously. And because I didn't take it seriously, I didn't take my image seriously. Um, I, there were a lot of times where I'd have shoots and I just could not wait to go home. And it was just kind of like, Oh, get this over with. And I didn't establish any connections with any photographers or any models. Um, it was a very, it was a very lonely, lonely experience. And not only that, but I also kept my modeling secret from a lot of people. <clears throat> um, yeah, it, it was like, it was a lot. It wasn't, I would say I've had the most fun, like, I've had the most fun modeling from now and then like last year. So then what changed? What changed? That's a good question. Um, I think I was like meeting the right people. I was meeting the right people. I was, I was meeting people that actually wanted to get to know me as a person and wanted to make me look cool. They, they wanted to make me look like a, like an icon, not like an object. Um, I actually have some pretty good examples of these people. So I, I feel like they do, they deserve recognition because it honestly, if it was not for them, I wouldn't be who I am now as a model. So when I, when I first started, like I had a really good shoot with my, with my partner 
it was fun. And then after that, I just kind of went through Model Mayhem on my own. So at the time, I, I don't know if Instagram was that popular then. I don't really remember it being that popular with modeling. So some of the photographers that I would like to name like from, from Model Mayhem that I felt like really made it fun for me. He goes by deep exposure and he photographed, like he would photograph models like in black and white and he would make them look like these like long legged goddesses. Like, I don't know how to explain, but he would always have them wearing like stockings and heels and they would be like tearing it off. And it it was just like a different view of sexuality for me because at the time I was getting a lot of photo shoots with these guys that wanted me to model kind of like in a soft, soft core porn kind of way, you know? Mm-hmm. And this guy was just like, no, like if you're going to pose in front of me, I want you to like move your legs, like look contorted, mess up your hair. Don't smile at the camera. Like look, look away from the camera or look down at the camera. Like just make it look fucking edgy. And I love that. Like, Oh God, it was so, so good. Um, am I actually able to send you the link on the Skype? Yeah, I can post it in the show notes. Um, yeah. So his, his name is Carlos. He's in Spain now. Okay. Yeah. So then you said though, that, um, instead of looking like an object, you looked like an icon. Yes. Yes. Trying to think of a, a way to phrase this because that's a pretty big, you can tell that there's a difference, right? The experience that you had and the way that Mm -hmm. you saw yourself was different. Um, Are you able to articulate the contrast between how you said the icon as opposed to an object? Are you able to articulate that anymore? Because I think that's a a really important distinction. So shooting, so it was Carlos, that was his name. And the other photographer his name was uh, Rafa and they were known. And I think they still are known in the Bay area for taking like these really like intense black and white images of these models um, where they're just doing whatever the hell they want on camera. And they, they look tall, they look lengthy, they look very womanly and edgy and sexy and in control. So before I started working with them consistently, I was working with people that would often photograph me like with a lot of like blur on my skin. Um, they would kind of like ask for like open leg shots and, you know, things like that, where I, I had no creative control. Like I had no say it was just what they, you know, what they wanted. And, but wouldn't, uh, wouldn't the the photographers that you're talking about, these ones that were mm-hmm. kind of more t- positive experience, wasn't it something that they wanted as well? Yeah, they, they wanted, they wanted the images to look a certain way, right? They wanted it yeah. to look edgy, but they gave me more creative freedom. They said like, okay, like I'm going to take it at this angle because it's going to make your legs look like this. It's going to make your hair look insane. Do what what makes you feel good? What makes you feel like you're, you're a fucking boss. Right. Mm -hmm. And I would just be doing hella weird shit. I'd be like flipping my hair back and forth. I would be rubbing my hands on my face, on my body, not needing to worry about whether like my ass looks big or my boobs look big enough. 
and they never look big enough. Things like that, just messing with my stockings, twisting my legs around, just doing whatever. And the pictures would just turn out really cool. And and they looked, in my opinion, they looked better than pictures of me um, sitting, you know, on, on a bed with my back on the the bed stand with my legs kind of open and me pressing my boobs together. Kind of like a cliched glamour shot almost. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then was it the engagement is the reason why you enjoyed it so much? Yes. Now, now that you say it, it was the engagement because I, I felt like not only was I modeling for them, but I was hanging out with them and it was like a collaborative process. Yeah. You as a person, were contributing and valued as opposed to just being kind of a body that was there that, uh, had parts that were desirable. Yes. And oftentimes these photographers would actually have references. They'd be like, I want you to look like this. Like I want you to pose like this. And it would be, and there's nothing wrong with this type of photography, by the way, like there's nothing wrong. Like I, I still do that kind of photography. I do glamor photography. Mm -hmm. I like, I'm not against it, but at the time it didn't encourage any like creative ideas for me. So yeah, like it was more of like, do this, this is what I want. And if you don't do it this way, then I like the photos aren't going to turn out well. And yeah, I wouldn't want to pay you, you know, so I would just do it. But the shots that I did with Carlos and Rafa at the time, it just, like I would literally just go there and we talk, shoot the shit and play like Portis head or something and just start going off with the cameras and just ripping tights open and wearing like different crazy like shoes and messing up my hair, messing up my makeup, just making it look so crazy and raunchy. And I, I actually felt empowered by their style and how much liberty they gave me in these shots. Yeah. You felt like you were actually making art. Yeah. So then what is the difference to you between pornography and art? Because you've seen, I I know you have a Patreon and stuff like that. I don't know if you've done pornography, but what if you've kind of had an experience with a sort of more glamor aspect and then art to you, what is the difference between those two worlds? That's, that's a really good question. Um, so I, I always get asked this any, actually anytime I have like an erotic photo shoot, I'm asked, what is the difference between erotica and pornography? And I would say that, you know, erotica is artistic because ah, this is like hard. (laughs) Um, okay. I feel like, I feel like pornography when it's, filmed it's basically meant to get the person whoever is watching it to jack off or to 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 get some pleasure from it right it's it's like a a visual experience they're seeing someone being penetrated or, or something and that's it like that's the goal of the picture um or video and i feel like with erotica like it could literally just be like a nipple (laughs) and it's like photographed in like a very detailed and interesting way, but it it's cool. And it, and it's not, it's not that simple. Like there was a lot of thought that was going into it. A lot of creative thought, like, Oh, how can I make 
maybe this nipple look less of a nipple, but it looks like a nipple. (laughs) Abstracting it. Yeah. Abstracting it. Um, versus pornography. It's just like right in your face. Like we need to get the shot of the, the penis going in and whatever. And you know, but then at the same time, people can easily say, well, like pornography is art too, because it evokes this kind of like creative process that goes into it. And I know that there's actually pornography that's being created now that is like geared towards certain, um, how do they say niche, niche niches? Yeah. Niche, niche or niche. Yeah. 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 And so it's really hard to say. So well, do you think before I put my foot in my mouth? No, no, no. I, I think that that's part of the, the conversation. And I think this is even the importance of all of this is, um, like I, like I was mentioning before, before we were, you know, officially recording the people who are involved in this, I, I think they should have a voice. And I think it's from their perspective and their experience, where are these lines and how do we define these things? So I don't think that you could put your foot in your mouth. I think that this is the difficulty is we lack a lot of the language to actually articulate these thoughts. And I think the only way to get to a point is if we try and tackle it. That's yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Okay. I will try again. So, okay. So clearly art is subjective, right? For me, the, the pictures that I post on my Instagram, people can easily say, Oh my God, that is so pornographic. Um, yeah. Pe- people me, have said that about, about my work. Uh, really? Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't think it is because at all. But there's definitely, I don't think so either. Yeah, but there's definitely people who do. So yeah, I can I can relate. So it's like I'm looking at my pictures and the way I pose and the type of images that I share, I feel like evokes a mood that's very like quote inertia creeps, which is very dark, mysterious sensual, sometimes submissive, but mostly like in your face, but there's never any sex involved. Right. It's just, it's just inertia creeps, the model kind of like being into herself. And so I, I think that's what erotica is, is that it's not so explicit, like, Oh, here we are having sex. Look at this. This is what it is. It, it has like more of a narrative to it. It has more of like a layer of, of storytelling, but then people can easily say, Oh, like what about pornos? Like the dude delivers pizza. It's like, no, it's different. Like, <laughs> yeah, there is a difference. And I think that's a lot of art can play with that line. And in my personal opinion, I think it is important to differentiate between mm-hmm. art and pornography um, and even possibly erotica and and art and pornography, or to be able to categorize them, not to necessarily be able to judge them, but to make be able to make distinctions. You know, I, I've made work that has a graphicness to it. I, I'm always asking myself, um, is this just because I'm making it for an artistic purpose, uh, does that mean it's okay for everybody to see? And, mm, yeah. and I, I don't, my personal opinion is no, it's not because there are plenty of things, for example, that 
I don't want my children to see or experience. And it's not because, um, they, it's just because simply because of where they are in life. And there are certain things that, uh, you shouldn't experience until you are of a certain age or really most specifically a maturity level. We, I agree. Yeah. You know, we associate obviously age with maturity. Uh, they're not the same thing, but that's a whole other, you know, point. <laughs> but, yeah. A whole can of worms. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's important to define these things because, uh, for one, just the obvious thing is I, I ask myself even just, well, who is this for and who is it directed towards? And because I'm making art, I don't, I don't like the idea of someone looking at my stuff in a pornographic way. And so I'm always questioning even like, for example, putting it on Instagram. Um, do I even want to, because if people are seeing it in a way that I don't want them to see it, Mm-hmm. Um, I can't stop that and I'm not necessarily trying to stop them or preach to them, but at the same time, I feel like I have an obligation towards my work as well as the people that I work with, like the models and, uh, even myself, you know, cause I've put myself in the images. I feel like I have a, a, a sense of duty towards those things to try and yeah. put them in front of the right people. Yes. So, I didn't know if, uh, you know, I, it's difficult to define these concepts and I don't, I think that the really only way we can kind of accomplish that is through having these kind of dialogues and trying to figure it out. Um, because it is, it's complicated. And it's, so I'm not, I'm not in any way yeah. uh, ju- judging you or anything that you're saying. I'm, I'm asking out of sincerity. And that's really a big part of even having this podcast is the people who are dedicated to, to this and involved. What is your experience? How do you see it? Because it's easier for someone who's not into it, not in it to make these judgments. Um, and I think it's important, you know, for example, when you're modeling you, if you can see a distinction when you're making something that is artistic or, you know, if, if you've made something pornographic to be able to distinguish if it crosses a line and when it crosses a line as someone who's part of the, that process. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Um, what I found is that no matter how many times I say this is not pornographic, it's just erotic or it's just nude art. It's, I, I, I start to just accept that we're just biologically wired to find the nude body arousing. And I feel like because of how society treats, particularly the female nude body, it's created more of a stigma of seeing a, a, a female's nude body and it's like height, like I feel like it's it's contradicted itself. It's actually heightened um, the level of sexuality of just a naked female. Like a hypersexualization. Yeah, when it when it doesn't need to be, but it's that way because um, we shelter we shelter it so much. Like uh, a mother can't even go out and fucking breastfeed her baby in public without 
people making like sexual comments about it, you know? Oh yeah. I know, I know plenty of women who have had that experience and a lot of times it even comes from other women, like the 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 negativity where I know my wife has experienced it. Her sisters experience it being in public breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and they're not even exposed in any way and have like a blanket covering their child and people will walk by and make comments out loud to one another to Mm -hmm. kind of shame them for even thinking of breastfeeding despite nothing even being shown. And that is, that is maddening to me. It is. And it, and it's this bizarre, it is, there's a social structure that goes along with it. And, um, I mean, I can say when I was, you know, just traveling the little bit that I have, uh, when we were, as an example, living in Ecuador, uh, Mm -hmm. women would breastfeed and they'd have their breasts out in public, like standing there on the sidewalk. And it wasn't anything that anyone paid attention to. And then even, for example, like going to, um, Europe, you know, you drive through the streets of, of Rome and there's nudity on billboards. And these are two places, as we were talking about earlier in the conversation, they're both, these are both Catholic, uh, countries that are, are, um, different in the respect of their, uh, you know, one being in Europe and obviously being wealthy and then one being in South America and, not being wealthy. Um, yeah, but they're both Catholic and they both don't seem to have that issue with that. And so it's strange how these, this kind of comes about. That is strange that they would be Catholic, not have a problem with it. Do you think it has to do with maybe Christianity in the U S? Yeah. I mean, so my, my personal opinion, um, Mm -hmm with all of it is that American Christianity stems actually from, um, pure, it has a Puritan cultural basis, which actually is, uh, kind of root, the, rooted in Calvinist philosophies and their the philosophies are what they call, um, it's this type of dualism, what they call Cartesian dualism. And they mm-hmm. believe and it stems actually from Plato, but they believe that essentially the physical world is bad and Uh that the spiritual world is good. And we're trying to divorce ourselves from the body. And this is highly influential to the Puritans um, who are the ones who really settled the United States because they were fleeing religious oppression from England. And so they came to America to have religious freedom and this is the foundation of much of our education. For example, like Harvard is, uh, was, was founded by a Puritan and much of our educational system or in higher education was founded by, um, Puritan like religious affiliations. Oh, I see. I didn't, I didn't know that about, um, like the, the, the body and the spiritual self and, and all that, but that, that makes a lot of sense now. Yeah. And then what's interesting is, uh, Catholicism, even though it's, you know, Christian, they actually have a a kind of opposite view of that. And it stems from what Aristotle taught, which was that there's a relationship between the body and soul. So Catholics actually have a perspective that both the body and soul 
they were are equally as good and because they were created by God. So it's kind of a oh, it's kind oh, of a fascinating okay. aspect that goes all the way back to Plato and Aristotle in this kind of weird way. Yeah. <laughs> um which many people might find boring, but I think it's interesting. I think it's incredible. Like I, I learned something today. I, I didn't know about all that. And it, it makes a lot more sense now. Well, I'm glad I could maybe, maybe clear some stuff up, but I'm, I was curious though. Uh, and I kind of asked this before, but if you did see a difference in your own personal experience, when it kind of transitioned in and out of kind of crossing a line that it just became something different where it changed like we can come back to that though because i did have some other questions that i uh that could even tie into this yeah um, yeah so help me understand <laughs> yeah so we will come back to that um but i wanted to actually ask you about your photography so okay yeah how long now how long have you been uh photographing I have been photographing since I was 19 years old. So 19, 20, 21, 22, 24, it's about like four, four and a half years. Okay. And we talked a little bit about this when we had our interview for Soda Pop. And I looked at your, at your Instagram. What, what is the name of your photography account for Instagram? Oh, it is Lambda underscore HF. I think that's an, that's an interesting thing to where you've been a model on mm -hmm. obviously one side of the lens and you've been on the opposite side, photographing people and working with, um, nude subject matter as well. Uh, I didn't know if you could, well, first kind of talk about your photography and, and what, what it is, uh, to begin with. So when I first started photography, I, I just wanted to learn the, like the technical side of it. And I did. And so I thought, well, I should make a model mayhem account and reach out to find models. And the models that I would find were like very open about their sexuality. Um, I remember one of the first male models I photographed, he like just straight up wanted to do nude work. And at the time I was only looking to just experiment with portraits and I feel like also at the time I was also exploring my own sexuality and just all the fetishes that exist. Um, because also as a model, I've done like a lot of fetish work, um, where I pose like with my feet or with like leather, or, like BDSM gear and stuff like that. So I was very familiar with, you know, the fetish world. And so with that being said, I guess, I guess I just, I just attracted those kinds of people, which is totally fine because they are fucking amazing. Um, they're more, they they're more fun. They know how to have more fun. They are. And now that I think about it in my photography page on Instagram, there's this couple, they went by Sal and Vivi and they were adult, adult entertainers. And they, you know, they did porn. They did fed it like certain like kink porn and they had asked me to photograph them because they wanted, they wanted somebody to photograph their, their sexual activities and their playtime in an artistic way that complemented them 
and kind of showed the more sensual and the, the, the more sensual and loving side of when, when, when they play around with fetishes versus just them like pleasing each other for the camera, for the viewer, they were asking me to take pictures for them to have and, and to appreciate. So I, I got into that and I could not stop. Like I kept meeting like people in the adult industry that wanted me to photograph them in that way where it was them like pleasuring themselves or pleasuring, like pleasuring another person. But it was done in a way where they felt like they weren't just being filmed for the sake of being filmed, but like as if I was documenting it for them. So what is the challenge uh, in that scenario to making something that's artistic? I, I basically like at the time I would ask them like, how do you want me to photograph it? Do you want me to photograph it like in a dominant way? Like, do you want me to display you as like a dom or sub or both? Do you want, do you want the pictures to be more feminine or more masculine? And oftentimes the adult entertainers would ask that the pictures be more feminine, be softer, be like caring sort of. (laughs) And they would be doing the craziest shit on camera. Like, one of the pictures on my Instagram is uh, the female model is getting chopsticks um, snapped around her nipples by the male model. And they asked me to photograph that in a way that was like in a sweet and like sensual way. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> but she's getting like, she's getting chopsticks tied to her nipples. Like that shit looks painful, but that's how they wanted it. So then how, but how do you make sure that it looks like art as opposed to porn? Hmm. That's really hard to, like, I don't even know how I did that. Like, let's see, I would almost photograph it in a way where it was like, as if I was just a person watch. like, no, not a person watching it. I don't know. I would try to photograph in angles where it emphasizes what the person is doing to the other person. Um, Like, for example, there's a picture of a female model wearing a collar and there's like a leash on it and he's pulling her in to kind of like, you know, establish dominance, whatever. And she's leaning in and I could have taken the picture of him just pulling her in and her looking like very submissive, very um, afraid or whatever. But what I thought was really cute was that when he pulled her in, you know, they had, they had their face, like their dominant sub face, but in between they started to laugh because it was just like silly. And I just, I photographed that. I photographed them laughing, like in between them trying to like hold a facade and the picture looks more sweet than anything, but it's of him pulling like her leash. <laughs> yeah. There was, uh, yeah. Like a, there was a more, humanness to it that was out of character to it being something I guess sexually exciting yeah 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 so then being on being the photographer and being the model that's kind of you know where I was kind of going before is I I didn't know if you noticed um, when dealing with such intimate subject matter where someone Mm -hmm. could easily categorize that as pornography 
mm-hmm. how, you know, I was asking, how do you make sure that you don't cross the line into porn? I didn't know if there was a way of thinking that, that you addressed it because it seems like, and this is just from my experience, you have to have a certain level of detachment from the, the sex aspect of all of it. Yeah, that that's very true. I've had, I've had people ask me like, Oh, when you're photographing these people, do you get aroused? And my answer is no, I don't get aroused actually. Uh, that's like the last thing I think about. Um, when I take these pictures, how I aim to not make it pornographic is that I don't take pictures of like their genitals solely. Like I don't do that. Um, in all my pictures, it's usually of their faces um, the eye contact they make with each other, um, where their hands are on each other's like body parts that aren't like their genitals or ass, you know, I take pictures of them in between their sessions, not necessarily like while they're having sex. Um, I just try to photograph the, the nuances when they're doing all these things versus like, I actually just avoid the sex in general. (laughs) (laughs) um and i think that's how i'm able to get away with these pictures is because there's there's no like there's no explicit image of them having sex it's kind of just like the in-between moments or or like the close-ups of them like kissing or like massaging and not necessarily like straight up insertion yeah yeah the way that i um the analogy that i try to give others i people don't really have a problem thinking of a doctor being detached from the sexual aspect of it. And that's, that's kind of where, what I say, it's like, well, you know, if a doctor can do it, then anyone can do it. I, but I think there, it is about building up a, uh, a discipline to be able to, uh, just see it that way, which that kind of goes back to what you were saying before. I don't, I don't think a lot of people want, to see it in a different way other than being purely sexual. And I think that's part of the issue too. Yeah, that is actually a big issue because again, it's like, no matter what you can make it as implied as possible. If they see like a little bit of boob, a little bit of butt, a little bit of genitalia, they're going to declare it sexual and there's nothing you can do to change their perspective on that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and even as we're saying like the breastfeeding, uh, there's a lot of people, I think even part of the, the disgust that many have, it comes from wanting to preserve breasts for sex as opposed to being able to see, seeing them that they can serve multiple purposes. Yeah, exactly. I think to me, the, the recurring explanation is I, I think when you lose the sense that someone is multidimensional um, and there's a lot to them and there's, there's a depth of, of their person, then that's when you start running into uh, issues <laughs> towards, yes. you know, towards like, you know, what would be, I guess be expressed as like the dignity of that person. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that a lot of people could probably uh, stand to understand, to understand a little bit better in my, yeah, my personal sure. opinion. But, uh, yeah. So I, the, one of the big questions that I have on the podcast, uh, and you've kind of answered it in various, you know, kind of indirectly somewhat, but just to kind of ask straight out, 
why nudity? What, why are you drawn to nudity? Oh, why am I drawn to nudity? Because technically I could be like any, any other kind of model, right? Yeah. And you are obviously, um, you're obviously going to school (laughs) for physics and, you know, so, but, but yeah, like we're, we were saying you, you've devoted a lot of energy to this world. Why? I, so I've said, I've said earlier that for the first like few years, it was not, it wasn't that fun for me. Like it was fun, but it wasn't fun enough for me to share outright publicly. And it was because I was still fairly insecure about my body and how I look, but it provided the money I needed. And honestly, I can say that I still continue it because one, like I feel more confident about my body now. Um, and I think it's because like I work out, I watch what I eat and I, I don't know. I just do things that make me physically feel good. And two, I've been working with a lot of amazing photographers that, that have an eye that I can appreciate. And if they're able to capture moments in my life where I feel like the most beautiful, like why not share it, you know? And for the longest time I was hiding myself. And I feel like within the past like year and a half now, I've, I've just been outright honest. Like, I don't know, like these pictures are sick and I want to share them. Like they're so cool. And, and, and it also has a lot to do with me finally taking control of these pictures and what I get from them before I would have no say I would, I would do whatever, you know, the photographer wanted, which is fine because it was paid, but I literally would say nothing. I would just do what they wanted, like the type of clothes, shoes, makeup, hair, everything. Yeah. You didn't really see yourself in it. Mm -mm, Exactly. Like I didn't see myself in it at all. So I thought, why would I need to share any of this with anyone? But lately, like last year, I just decided like, I just, I want to take, I want to take advantage of this. Like, why not? And actually I have an exact picture that, um, kind of like jumpstarted that there's, there's two photographers. I mean, there's a bunch that really, that were very encouraging and inspired me to take it seriously. But there, um, there's a few that I can definitely name for sure that like, that captured me in a way, like, I feel like they were actually capturing me and not an idea. Um, one of them, he goes by Fairfax Hamilton. He's on, he's on my Instagram. And what I liked about his photography is that he would include my face in them. And he wouldn't include my face in a way where it looked like hella sexual or anything like that, but it was just like actual nice portraits while also photographing my body in a really like beautiful and sensual way. And I remember like he showed me and I was just like blown away. I was like, holy shit. Like I look pretty, like I don't just look like a blow up doll or something like that's amazing. And that made me want to do more images like that. And so the shoots that I would have after that, I would actually like make it a point to say to the photographer, like, Hey, can you photograph like my face? in in this way, like where it's like a good portrait, but like also have like my new body in there. And actually 
that's that's another thing I want to say is that um, when I first started modeling, I was really insecure about my face. Like I was really insecure. <laughs> yeah, I remember you saying that in our in our other interview. Mm-hmm. I was really really insecure. I had bad skin problems and just my own insecurities, and so that's another reason why I kept my modeling private was because I wanted to hide my face, but. After that photo shoot with that photographer, I was like, damn, like my face looks cool. And so I, I started including my face in my images and you can see it on my Instagram. Literally when you scroll all the way down, like you'll start to see how like my face starts to show more. And then now it's just like, everyone knows what my face looks like. Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah, it's, it's you, they see you. They, they like, they all know like my hairstyle, my eyes, people always say, Oh, your eyes. Like I want to photograph your eyes. And like, no one has ever said that to me before when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, like no one, they'd always say, Oh, throw your face. I mean, throw your hair over your face, like make it look like you're in ecstasy. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I just felt like I was working with photographers that were actually that actually admired more than just my body, but also my face, my features and like little things that I would do with like my hands or my feet. And I, f- I felt valued for the first time. Yeah. That everything that you have been talking about, it's, I think it's easy to get a sense that more and more you are appreciating seeing you. Mm-hmm. And the more you see you, the more you actually are enjoying you. Uh, yeah. Especially coming from a background where you felt so out of place as a child um, in mm-hmm. a culture that didn't seem to really value you. Um, yeah. I think, I think that's kind of an, it's an interesting, an interesting kind of evolving process that you're almost realizing you're like, oh, wow, I like me. <laughs> and I like the way oh, that I look. <laughs> You're right. Like it's, it's honestly been that way. Like I I look at my pictures now and I'm just like, this is who I am. And I, I like how I look. I like my personality. And before it was more of like, I don't really know what my look is. I don't really know what my personality is. I don't really know who uh, my real friends or supporters are. But lately, like it's honestly been happening so fast. Like it's been happening really fast. Like since fall of last year, my profile just, just suddenly like blew up. And I, I think it's because I was starting to share images where, like you said, I was, I was actually like loving myself and and knowing who I am as a person and, and being confident about it. And I think people were getting, I think people are getting that sense too. Oh, I think that it, there, there does seem to be a, a confidence that comes across in your work. So that's from my personal opinion. I think other, others seem to be recognizing that as well. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, with this kind of evolving uh, sense of self and appreciation of yourself, there's, you are still faced with a culture that frowns upon all of this. <laughs> to say the least, what is your resolve to kind of keep pushing through? Why, why have you dedicated so much in the face of that, uh, shaming and that, that psychological kind of adversity? 
I surround myself with people that don't have a problem with it. And if they do, they can fuck off. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's that simple for me. <laughs> but so, the, but why do you know why it's that important? I mean, cause you, you got into it in a way it's, it's not like you necessarily, I mean, maybe you did, but it didn't seem like you were getting into it because you had this, you pictured this big, long career and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, creating art and shooting nudes and being a model, uh, you know, like you said, you're going to school, you have this other kind of, uh, aspect to your life. That's still extremely important. Do you, yeah, that's a good point. Why, why have you just kept at it for all of these years when there was so much pressure to not do it? I feel like when I was first starting, like, of course it was for money, but then I just kept going at it. And I think a part of me, a part of me did enjoy it, but it was, it, it was like a part of me wanted to enjoy it, but I kept running into things that prevented me from really flourishing in it and going at it with like my full potential. Like now, you know, I'm 24 years old and I'm seeing models like on Instagram that, you know, are doing nude, like art nudes and they're fucking like 19 years old or whatever. And they're like, they are succeeding. And I'm just thinking to myself like, wow, if I had that confidence when I was that age, I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, having like so many supporters and so many open-minded people and like, obviously they're enjoying it. And I feel like at the time at that age, I wanted to enjoy it, but I was kind of like not working with people that, that I vibed with creatively Um, so I would have to say that, you know, besides, besides the fact that it was just for, you know, I could say it was just for money. There, there was a part of me that, that did want to, you know, stick around and, you know, for the fun to see if, if I could have that experience too. And it's honestly, I would also say that another reason why my modeling has kind of taken off just a little bit for me, for me, it's positive. Like, for me, like I've been getting all this work, like, this is awesome. This is amazing. Like I'm fucking doing this podcast thing. Like, Oh my God, like this is awesome. Um, and I feel like the reason why it's really taken off for me is because the people that used to shame me about this are out of my life Mm -hmm. because I, I push them out of my life. Now, before I used to work so hard to keep them in my life. I would try to say the right things, do the right things, hide everything. Um, and I would, I would let them shame me. I would let them tell me, Oh, um, modeling, your modeling is silly, or I don't even really think you're a model or what you're doing is porn. And I would keep them around and I would try to satisfy them. And that only, that only diminished that only, that only diminished me and and just made me really depressed and made me not like myself. And I think it also was starting to show in a lot of the pictures, um, that I used to post on model mayhem, but now they're not in my life anymore. And I've been surrounding myself with other people in the community, other photographers, other models that are just like, fuck yeah. Like, let's go do some outdoor nudes right now. And it's been amazing. And I, but I know it's not that easy for every, every art model or or art nude model or art nude photographer, you know? And 
I would consider myself lucky because I'm in California, I'm in San Francisco. So there's a lot more people like me here than there would be, say, I don't know, like in Utah or something. Yeah, that that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, California is a, a little bit of a different place. Oh, yeah. And then especially, you know, talking about the Bay Area, I mean, not only just the sheer volume, but also even... It tends to be a little bit more culturally progressive. Yeah. Uh, I can even say that just being in Cincinnati, there definitely isn't uh, a lot of people who feel this way. It's it's pretty conservative here. But Really? Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of a weird little world. It's basically like a big small town. You know, it's like a a larger <laughs> city but still kind of like everybody feels like you it's like 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon or probably even two degrees, <laughs> like, you know, someone who knows somebody type of thing, you know? Uh, yeah. so having, being lost in a big city is, is a, always a breath of fresh air from my own experience. But when did these people start fall, falling away and kind of, when did you start kind of pushing them out of your life, whether directly or indirectly, was it about a year ago? Is that when that all kind of happened? Yeah. So actually I was, I was talking to a really good friend of mine about this, but, um, so like last year I experienced like so much loss. Um, and it, it was, it was an eye opener for me, um, because it, it, it made me realize that I needed to, to put energy into people that, that actually love me for me. And, are willing to put the effort to be in my life. Just like I have been putting the effort to be in theirs. Um, so basically last year and kind of like the year before that, like I lost both of my grandparents um, from the Philippines. Yeah. And so at the time, like, you know, I'm still modeling of course. And so I lost both my grandparents and I had to go back to the Philippines and experience like this whole like level of culture shock And what was crazy was that everyone in the Philippines, like all of my family members, they were so accepting of who I am, of my modeling, (laughs) surprisingly, of my modeling and even my major. And I just thought, wow, like my conservative Filipino like family, like they're so loving and welcoming. And I came back to the States you know, and I was going to school and I had these two best friends. They're not really my best friends anymore, but I was starting to notice that in my classes, like people weren't talking to me anymore. And it was starting to bother me because it was like during like physics lab. And in school, I'm a very, I'm a very uh, shy person. I'm like really socially awkward. Like I don't catch on a social cues that well. <laughs> and I noticed like this group that used to talk to me all the time and we'd like joke around and just be nerds just flat out stop talking to me and I just took it as them thinking like I'm a dork and I guess I just wasn't interesting enough or whatever and I was taking a I was taking that class with at the time who was my best friend and two semesters later she tells me that the reason why they stopped talking to me was because they found my modeling page 
through her Instagram page because at the time I, I didn't make my Instagram, um, completely professional. Like it was kind of like a mixture of things like before, before this, before the inner shit creeps, my Instagram was kind of like a mix of like my personal life. And then like every now and then a modeling picture, um, because I, I didn't know what I was doing, but she said that they found it and they asked her about it. They were like, does she do like, what does she do? Like, why is she like naked? And she was just like, she didn't really defend me. And she didn't really have my back. And she just said, Oh, she like poses nude. And yeah, like, I don't really agree with it, but whatever. And she like told me that to my face and they agreed with it. And they all just stopped talking to me. And yeah, she even was like, Oh, um, yeah, I didn't want to tell you cause I didn't, I didn't want to see you get hurt or whatever. So I just figured I'd tell you afterwards. And then I told her, I was like, you know, when they stopped talking to me, I became really insecure. And I thought that maybe like I came off as dorky or something. And I thought that for like basically half a year. Wow. And yeah, so that happened to me. And then another best friend of mine, she would always tell me like, oh, when we're meeting like my friends or family, just, just don't tell them what you do. And it's like, I don't, I don't fucking brag about it, but she would constantly say that. And then when my grandparents, when my grandparents died and I was going through like a lot of family crisis, like a lot of these, these people that I thought were my friends were not there for me. Um, I was essentially alone for like a whole year. And, um, yeah. So shit, where was I going with this? (laughs) You were saying that it was a difficult year and you had lost not only your grandparents, but you started losing friendships. Yeah, I, I was losing a lot of friends. And so, yeah, a lot of these people, like their their justification was like, I don't agree with your modeling. I like, I'm sorry that happened, but it's kind of hard to talk to you when you have those pictures or like they would actually say shit like that. And it was just oh, it was so hard. But then on the, but you also <sighs> mentioned that you had family who all of a sudden were supportive of you, despite th- you thinking that they wouldn't, they would be the ones who would Yeah, okay, so, so that's where I was going. So, yeah, like, I had family members that I haven't seen in, like, dec- like a decade because they live in the Philippines, and they were so supportive. And so when I came back to the States, dealt with, like, my really shitty friends at the time, I realized literally by the end of last year, like, literally November, December, I decided, like, fuck them. Like, I need to be surrounding myself with people who are like-minded like me, who are okay with my modeling, who are also okay with the fact that I'm a nerd and I need to prioritize my homework. Like I, I need that. And my biggest mistake I would say in my early twenties was that one, I was hiding my modeling Two, I wasn't being honest with people in school and, or in my modeling. And I was trying to be someone that I wasn't which is a regular college student. (laughs) I am not that. (laughs) I am definitely not that. And because I pretended to be that, I was meeting people that expected me to be that way. And when they found out that I wasn't, they often just threw me under the bus. And so, yeah, I dropped all those people out of my life. 
like I stopped talking to them. I stopped being friends with them. I unfollowed them. I even, I just moved on from them and I've just been making friends in this community. And I've also, I've also like met other models who are in the same position as me. Like they go to school and they deal with like annoying people in their lives. I meet photographers that want to showcase their photography, but they're afraid people are going to think that they're just in this to like see tits and ass, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's been fucking awesome. Like I've met so many like cool people and I'm, I'm just so grateful and it's, it's been a ride, but I, I would say that for anyone that is like an art nude model, like make friends in the community, like don't try and hide it in your real life. Um, and don't try to hide your real life from the modeling community. Like, I mean, you don't have to tell people like your full name and shit, but like, by the way, my, my social security number is my social (laughs) security number is six. No, No, I think that's, that's a really good point. I, there's a resolve to kind of exist have to have the confidence to exist the way that you feel compelled to exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously not detrimental to anyone else. Um, but you have put a lot into this and that's one of the things that I think a lot of people don't see who aren't kind of in this world. They don't realize how much energy goes into being this way. Um, yeah even just the mere fact, and and it's not even necessarily that it's a conscious thing, but how a lot of it starts off as just kind of having to live a double life and feeling like maybe you're bad uh, because you obviously, there's a whole side of you you can't show. And then, you know, it affects relationships and how you interact. To me, the people who have pushed forward, kind of like you, your perfect example, pushing through all of that, despite the pressure, uh, mm-hmm. I think is something that speaks volumes, you know, just oh, that in and of itself. So it's, I don't know. I'm always amazed by that. And I think that's a, that's a point that I, I hope a lot of people pick up on because it, and, but I think a lot of people can relate to that aspect of life. You know, I think there's a lot of people who are hiding parts of themselves and don't feel like they can show them. I think this is a very, real example and somewhat of an extreme example, but I think it illustrates a point that most people deal with, even probably your friends, like they feel embarrassed the fact that they couldn't share who you were. And that's bizarre that they would feel that, you know, so they're the ones who cave in, but Mm -hmm. you didn't cave in. And I think that's the thing is that you found a peace with yourself. Whereas I would probably guess that, uh, you know, I'm using them as an example, not that I'm, I'm judging them, but someone like that will probably not find a certain piece. Yes. That, that's a good, that's, you're better at saying things than I No. <laughs> oh, it's, you're the one who said it all. I'm just, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. They were very embarrassed of me. And honestly, yeah, that, I think that's also why I did not enjoy modeling or enjoy myself as a person was because for like, for four or five years, I was often dealing with people that were embarrassed of me. And, um, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't be myself. I was always trying to prove that I, I can do this. Um, I can be better or just try to prove myself to others to be just treated with like basic respect. Um, 
I've dealt with so much shit. Like I've had people call me a gold digger. I've had people call me a porn star. I've, I've had people say like, I have low self-esteem and that's why I do this. And it's just like one thing after the other. And like, basically every way to make sense of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, they're shitty people for thinking that, but it's also my fault for putting so much energy into proving them otherwise when I should have just like left them a long time ago. But that's life, right? Yeah. Well, that's also how society works. I mean, the reason why these cultures and standards exist, it it naturally makes it difficult to uh, go against them. And and I think that Mm -hmm. I think for good reason, you know, it's, it's um, I mean, even, you know, as someone who, for example, is into who studied biology and is into the sciences. I mean, when you look at the body, it's made up of a bunch of cells all working together. And when a group of cells decides that it's not going to, you know, go with the group anymore, that can be a mutation, which can be a good thing or it could be a bad thing, which they would call cancer. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I think it, there's a reason why, you know, it's like, don't, don't go outside the box because this is all working. Why would you disrupt this? But yeah, exactly. But I think that I would like to make, maybe point out and you can feel free to disagree, obviously, cause this, I'm talking about you, but just as an observation, it, your mentality through all of it, it didn't seem like you were incredibly resentful. I mean, you were hurt and, but you know, you d- you didn't seem to be like angry, I guess, but I, I could, I'm sure there were probably moments, but some people probably do it. They, well, not some people, probably some people do it to get attention. I think some people do it for bad reasons um, or reasons that aren't healthy is probably as a better way to put it, but you seem to have I- a healthy mentality towards it. That's, that's also a really good point because I've, I've been seeing, um, models that would like post work and anytime they'd post it, it would kind of be like, this is a fuck you to so-and-so, you know, or something like that. Um, and that's fine. Everyone has their way of, um, dealing with these certain things, but yeah, come to think of it. Um, I'm not, I'm not resentful towards these people. I, I can almost, I can understand where they're coming from because they, you know, have a conservative lifestyle and a lot of these people are afraid of their own sexuality and a lot of these people are inexperienced with relationships and that's fine. Everyone has their own journey and I'm not, I'm not going to get mad about it. Of course I'm hurt. I'm hurt that I put so much effort and love into these people, but much of the time they were just embarrassed of me. And so it's like, I don't know, what can you do? So I just, I just moved on from it. And I, I would say I was, I was more sad than anything. Like I come to think of it. I, I didn't feel any resentment. I was just sad. Um, and then I decided like, I can't, I can't like chase after them. I can't be mad at them. Like they've already moved on with their lives. Like they've already said what they said, like for me to just continue chasing after them, like that's just going to make me even more depressed and I'm going to look like an idiot. So I just finally decided to let them all go. 
And it's been better that way because I don't think about them. And I, I don't think about those situations anymore. I just enjoy the time that I have with, with people in my life now that like look forward to seeing me on the weekends and stuff. And it's like, Oh my God, like I never really had that before with like friends. I, A real community that supports you. Yeah. And that you contribute yourself to. Yeah. And, and they value it and they like look forward to it. And it's like, it's so surreal. Like I can't, like, I'm so grateful. Like I'm so grateful that I can do this and like people like it and they ask for more. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'll give you more. Like it's, <laughs> it's exciting. And it's, it's just cool. And then, and then people are always like, Oh, you're, you're the nerdy one. And I'm like, yeah, I am the nerdy one. Yeah. <laughs> the na- the naked nerdy one. <laughs> the naked nerdy one. And then I meet other nerds and I meet other photographers that are like in engineering or something. And they'll ask me, Oh, how's your linear algebra going? And I say, I've been procrastinating and I need to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's awesome that you have those people. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave that at that. Cause no, that's, that's an incredible gift. Um, but we've been talking a lot about you and your work. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to pan out <clears throat> and go a little bit more macro. <clears throat> yeah. Like kind of in the, more in the history of like art, art history. And in the context of nude subject matter, it's, it's a pretty recurring theme. Um, for quite a while, is nude art good? Do, we, do you think we need it? What, what do you think this, this role kind of in the bigger context, why are you, do you, why do you think we're kind of grappling with these things in, in art? I think, um, I think art nudes is good. And I think it's healthy because it puts the nude body into different perspectives that many people can connect to and relate to. I think we need it in turn, like, like we need it to like neutralize like the porn that we see, the, the glamour that we see in the billboards and kind of like these ideas of like what a body should look like or what a person should feel like when they're nude or wearing certain things. Like we need, we need art nudes because with art nudes, there's a lot of diversity with one, how it's photographed, sketched, constructed. I think art nudes is very healthy. I think everyone should own like an uh, art nude book at some point in their life. (laughs) Well, I would, I would agree with you. I think that's something that we need to be exposed to. Um, Mm -hmm. I'll briefly kind of tell this story and I I probably, I think I might've told this before, but uh, growing up, you know, going up in a very religious background, I would kind of get into arguments, especially going to a school where as a philosophy major and with other philosophy majors, who were of the same conservative Catholic background because where I went to school was a small, small like Catholic liberal arts school. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of people didn't see nudity in the most positive way. And I would get into arguments with them. And the examples that I would always pull up when talking about nudity uh, within art, whether or not it was good or bad, you know, they would, they would all look, frown upon it and say, no, I don't think so. But then I would say, well, what about the Sistine Chapel? And what about Michelangelo's David? And in the Sistine Chapel, uh, there's nudity. And in fact, in fact, uh, for a while, actually they covered 
the original paintings with loincloths, but it was um, John Paul II, one of the more recent popes. He's the one who actually had it recommissioned to be restored back to its original, the original glory, so to say, and have the nudity in it. So that mm-hmm. obviously makes a very big statement in and of itself, especially when you're proposing it to people who are Catholics and look down on nudity. Yeah. So there, there's this kind of disconnect that a lot of people have when they think of art and they think of nudity in the context of art, that that is okay. You know, old, old art and old nudity is fine in paintings and stuff, but yeah. it's almost like this disconnect where they don't take into account how it's made. And that's a lot of times where models like you come in. <laughs> that yeah, someone, that's someone, someone was actually. there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hello, they're real people. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm coming from asking is, you know, nude art good. And I think even a, another kind of question to that is what, it, what is it that you hope that your work gives to people? I hope that, um, I hope that my, my work, my modeling work, I hope it inspires people to feel comfortable with their sexuality and to own it and embrace it. Because not going to lie, like obviously how I pose is in many ways, very sexual, but I feel like the way that I pose is kind of like, this is my sexuality. It's not yours. You can look at it, you can appreciate it, but you're not in control of it. And I, I want people to feel that I want people to feel empowered. And, and I've actually like surprisingly, like I've had a lot of like females um, message me saying like, Oh my God, like your pictures make like make me feel more comfortable with certain parts of my body, like having small boobs or having like certain thighs or I, I feel more inclined to be naked and, and to feel okay with that. Um, so I don't know. I, I just, I want people to look at my stuff and feel like, Oh, nudity is not a scary, weird thing. It's, it's something that you can own. It's not separate from you. It's not separate from your body. It's you and you have full control of it. No one else does. And, um, that's, that's the message that I want people to, I want people to get when they see my pictures. Do you have opinions about what sexuality is beyond the act of sex? Personally, I feel like, like for me, when I talk about my sexuality, my sexuality is something that I own and that I control and that I know of. And hmm, I feel like people have a problem with sexuality because they don't know what, what it is for them. And they've probably had, had experiences where they didn't have control of it, where unfortunately maybe they didn't give consent or didn't ask for consent or had a really bad experience. And so for them, sex and sexuality is separate from them. It's not something that they've always been in control of. Um, And I feel like that's why a lot of people get intimidated by nude art because they're just like, Oh God, Whoa. Like, who made them do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they can't fathom that the person was like, Hey, like I'm going to pose nude right now. Like, don't touch me. Like just, just capture it. Just, just capture this magic. Like, <laughs> you know, so 
Yeah, like they were uh, uh, tricking them almost. Yeah, and I've actually had people ask me that, like, oh, like, what what did he do to get you to do that? And I'm like, that <laughs> that was full on me. Like nobody else, that was me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I the the way that I uh, think of sexuality personally. Um, I, I think when most people, they think of sexuality, they think of the acts of act of sex. And that's why I asked if you thought it of it as something that was even separate, because I think it's something that we are always carrying with us and it's, yeah. and you know, and it's not just like a, it's a confidence or any th- type of thing like that, but, uh, it's a fundamental way in which all of human beings are interacting. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. something that's directly relevant. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons why we the world is even having a discussion about what gender is because I think that, um, as evolutionary beings, procreation is a fundamental part of our existence. And so for us to determine a lot of times what a relationship is, that need, that dynamic needs to be settled first. Um, and it's one of the first things to be settled and that, I think some people might take that as a, as a, uh, implication that everything is about having sex, which mm-hmm. it's, it's not. Um, but it is a factor in how your, how you, how your relationships work on just a beginning level. And yeah, an example that I would give is, you know, if I had a friend who, uh, was a guy if they were gay or if they were straight would be a relevant factor, not in necessarily how I, not whether or not I was friends with them because I have Mm -hmm. plenty of friends who were gay and who are straight, but the understanding that if there's someone who could be attracted to me, Mm -hmm. then that would change the, the nature of whether or not we could even be friends because as someone who's not gay, uh, mm-hmm. that's not something that I'm interested in just the yeah. same as if I had a friendship with a woman and a lot of women experience that, um, everyone I think experienced that when they have friends who are members of the opposite sex that are heterosexual, <laughs> yeah. that it's, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, where do we stand? And that's something that you, especially as a model, you are in these situations where you're naked and you're with, uh, probably men most of the time I would assume. Yeah. But yeah, like a hundred percent of the time. Yes. But you are able to maintain a relationship where there's an understanding as to where you stand. And that is fundamentally just like I said, from this evolutionary point of view, one of the first things that settled is what the relationship is (laughs) from, from that perspective. And so I think that's, I think that's something that uh, a lot of people will take into account don't take into account that there's a whole kind of, there's a whole kind of world that goes on that doesn't relate to the sexual act at all. Just the Mm -hmm. same as if I were to have a friend, a heterosexual relationship, but it still includes the fact that we're both sexual beings. And that's, that's a, that's a, you know, that's an, an interaction that is understood. So, that's kind of why I asked that question. <laughs> yeah, that, that is, that is true though, because, um, a lot of people cannot, but like you said, like they can't fathom like, Oh, um, the art dudes, like there's no sex involved. Like what? Like, what's the point? 
Yeah, that's what. Yeah, most like people... then what's the point of that? So weird. Um, but then again, I can kind of understand that. But I don't know. Still, I feel like people that that actually think that way have problems with their sexuality. They, there are things that they haven't confronted about it and have, haven't accepted or healed from. And so they think that way, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully they will be able to confront that because I, I think that, yeah, it ends up being problematic, not just for the person, but especially if there's a whole culture that is cultivating that, then it's bad. It's bad for everybody ultimately. Yes. Yeah. So I wanted to wind things down. I don't want to take up your entire evening. Um, and I wanted to have, I had a few kind of quick questions. The first question I have is I was wanting to know if you had any favorite books that you would recommend. Oh, any favorite books? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, let me see. You said like, Oh, like, it was something cute. <laughs> was that a, was that a bad question? No, it just did like I, did I lose your respect? <laughs> no, it was like it was just like surprising. Like it was so, I don't know, kind of like random. I don't know. No, not random. Oh my god, I'm putting my foot in my mouth again. Um, shoot. Okay, favorite book. <laughs> You still didn't answer my question. Did you lose respect for me when I asked that? <laughs> no, I did not lose respect. I was like, okay, like while we're talking about all these things, I'm just like, oh man, all this stuff is really deep. Yeah. <laughs> like I hope I'm answering the right way. Oh my God. I think I'm going way too long. Like, <laughs> no, no, this is perfect. This... Like I'm not getting the social cues again. Here I go. <laughs> no, I, you've, you've nailed it. I, it's, it's been, this has been an awesome conversation. Okay, I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let me think. Favorite book. Um oh man, that's that's a really good one. Okay, a book that I really like right now that I actually haven't read completely. Um it's called um I just got it like this year actually and I freaking love it. But it's called The Adam, a visual tour. And it's by Jack Kalliner. And it's, let's see, it was, it's by, um, it's from MIT. And it's like, it's a really nice book. It's like a coffee book, basically, that talks about um, quant, like uh, quantum physics. Mm -hmm. But it, it simplifies it. It doesn't dumb it down. Like, it, it's actually very, like, heavy but it's understandable and there's just like a lot of visuals in it. And, um, yeah, like my favorite part of the book is where they talk about Schrodinger's equation, which I love so much. Um, but yeah, it's a good book. It's called the atom of visual tour, the atom of visual tour. So a T O M not 80 AM. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, that's, that sounds awesome. That, I, I enjoy reading books like that. So I'll have to check that out. Do uh, you have a favorite book? Oh, um, a favorite book. I do. I have this. So there was this book that I read. I read it last year and it was really, I, I loved it. And I think it's something that everyone should read. I like want my children yeah. to read it. Um, and it, it's called elephant in the brain and it's about, it's basically analyzing evolutionary psychology and it, it talks about the reason why we lie to ourselves 
So it looks into that question and it answers it using, um, like I said, that an evolutionary model and an anthropological model. And so, and it's, it's, it's pretty, it's very accessible too. It makes you kind of start asking you, you know, why you lie to yourself. Oh, elephant. It's called elephant in the brain. Yeah. Uh, Kevin's, I, I don't know how you pronounce his last name. It's like similar S I M I L A R or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but it's an amazing book and I, I've actually hit kind of upon some really good books lately. I just read a book called es- Essentialism, which was amazing. Yeah. Well, I won't, I won't go down that path cause I'm like Googling it right now because it sounds hella familiar. Oh, Oh, it looks good. I really want to read it because it, excuse me, it reminds me a lot of like minimalism. Yeah. 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 So in he, I think he even, he even talks a little bit about that concept of minimalism and even in a way how it's a little bit different because he mm-hmm. says this, you know, it's not about saying no to everything. It's just about yeah. saying yes to the things that actually really matter. And so, oh, that's so cool. Like, I actually really want to read that. Like, I want to like buy it and like freaking read it because that that's weirdly that's like mind blowing. Like, oh, my God, like, don't say no to everything. Say yes to what really matters. Yeah. Who is your favorite philosopher? Oh, like this, this podcast is about you now. No. <laughs> nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to know about me. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I have, honestly, I don't know if I have a favorite. I, I like different philosophers for different things, um, which kind of seems like a bit of a cop out. I just kind of go through phases. I, I think another book that just helped has helped me a lot. Is so I really like Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell. How do you spell that? Uh, it's B-E-R-T-R-A-N-D and then mm-hmm. R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Uh, and he has, a, he has a book called The History of Western Philosophy that is just incredible. It basically, it, it's, not a, it's not a short book, <laughs> but he explains, he explains a lot in a pretty, it's amazing how short the book is considering how much he talks about. So, oh, yeah, it's a really good book that I recommend. And yeah, that book is the first one that pops into my head. Could you like summarize it in like, a, like two sentences? Like, uh, I, I couldn't summarize it in two sentences because it's, it's him talking about the history of how he kind of got to where we are philosophically in West mm-hmm. in Western culture. So it's, it's not really his philosophies, even though he was a philosopher, yeah, but he starts off with um, the pre-Socratics and explaining how philosophies sort of evolved and where they evolved from. So an example that, would st- that stands out to me quite a bit is he talks about the transition into becoming a, a from hunter-gatherers to becoming farmers. Uh, demanded that we rethink or that people essentially rethink the social structure and morality. So if you think of hunter gatherers, they responded emotionally to Mm -hmm. their environment. 
Uh, when they were mm-hmm. hungry, they would eat and there wasn't a lot of long-term thinking. But when you go to being a farmer, you're thinking in terms of if I plant this, then months later, I'll be able to work really hard to harvest it. And uh, there'd be this delayed gratification, which allowed for bigger societies. So that was essentially the benefit of being farmers, which bigger mm-hmm. bigger societies meant more stability and, you know, a higher rate of survival. So, you know, there's a whole logical reason why this happened, but he said that um, what transitioned was philosophy became, started becoming prevalent in an, actu- an actual thing in this world. And a big part of it was that it put an emphasis on the logical aspect of life as and mm-hmm. played down the emotional aspects of life. So being someone who was sober and who could think in terms uh, that put their emotions on the back burner became something more valued. And oh, I see. Yeah. And it actually what's interesting, too, it's it even plays into one of the reasons why throughout history we've seen women as being um, a kind of. Not, I say, I say, we. It's like the human race has seen women as being somewhat inferior to men, is because they've always yeah. been seen as being emotional, and yeah. uh, and even Aristotle, he didn't have um, the nicest things to say about women's abilities with uh, <laughs> rational thinking, <laughs> but that, that that basically was the belief was that women weren't capable of being as rational as men, and that was something that was looked down upon. And it's almost like this insecurity that's always kind of existed culturally. Uh, yeah. And obviously not being a wim- woman, I can't really speak to that from experience, but um, I can see it because obviously I've, I have relationships, close relationships with women. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really fascinating history of the world and a history of thought and how, how it came to be and why it sort of is the way it is. And, uh, yeah. So it does a really good job wow. of kind of summarizing the historical and the cultural aspects and the philosophical things that were kind of going on. And yeah. And that, okay. That is Bert, yeah, Bertrand Russell. Yeah. The history of Western that- philosophy. That is so cool. Like, I really liked uh, philosophy when I, I mean, like, I know it's a joke, like, when people are like, oh, you took a, like, just because you took a philosophy 101 class, you know, but when I took it, I was like, wow, this is like, very interesting. Um, And lately, I've kind of been running into people who are really passionate about it. And they like give the best advice ever. Yeah. uh, The downside is that I don't have any money. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I'm homeless right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a penny for your thoughts. <laughs> You're like communicating to me through a can and string. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, but yeah, it's a, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't, re- I don't regret it at the same time. Yeah. It's not the most practical uh, focus in the world. Same with same with art. I am obviously not the most practical person, so I envy I envy the uh, 
the world that you occupy. <laughs> but people say the same thing about physics. Like they're just like, what? Like in the science major, like the F- the most like physics is the major red, would redheaded be, stepchild yeah. of all of it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, the red <laughs> physics is like um, the philosophy. I feel like like anybody that gets into science, they're like either med school, civil engineer, electrical engineer. Um, like one of those things. And if you're like, basically, if you decide to be a math major, you're basically a philosophy major. Like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's what it's like. And I I would like to be, I mean, I'm minoring in math, but I can kind of see myself going down that path, but physics, like, okay, the physics I'm going for is astrophysics. Like that's, Uh. it's not that, I mean, of course it's demanded, but it doesn't have the same, like, I don't know, amount of jobs as like a civil engineer or a software engineer or something like that. Um, it's not as commercially viable. Yeah, there you go. See, you, you always know what to say. Like, I, I can't think of the words. <laughs> I'm like struggling to find the vocabulary. <laughs> no, it's good. We have, it's, we're, we're, we're bouncing off each other. So uh, we're, Riffin. Yeah, so, sometimes I, I can't find the words and I, I, I stumble and I do verbal pauses and it just it's a train wreck. So yeah, this I'm I'm feeling better feeling. No, I'm sure you could listen to my other podcasts. I'm I'm sure I it's probably depending on the day. I not probably, definitely depending on the day. I, I have plenty of moments, so don't feel bad at all. And there's documented <laughs> proof on my part also. If you want to yeah, listen to any, anything else I've done. So that's the hard part of doing these podcasts is listening to yourself. Cause I, I don't enjoy it at all, but oh, well, maybe eventually one day. But, uh, <laughs> so then I asked what your favorite books were, uh, mm-hmm. music. What's some of your favorite music? Oh man, you just screwed yourself over because <laughs> I can go on and on about that. Okay. Um, what's my favorite music? All right, let's 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 get down to this. Okay. So I okay. I would say I really like um I love trip hop. I love electro clash. I love electronica. Like I love that kind of music. So I guess the artist that I would name would basically be like um it would be like obviously fat boy slim moby felix the house cat um underworld benny how do you pronounce it benassi i don't um ladytron gold frap let's see and then like the more like modern electronica like tiesto Duke DeMont. Oh, I love Felix the House Cat. But then, like, I also really like, I like 80s music, but I'm very picky with 80s music. Like, I hate 80s rock music. Like, oh my God, that's the shit, like, ISIS would play to torment, like, people they kidnap. Like, I fucking cannot. Oh, I can't take it. Like, as soon as I hear ACDC. Oh, ACDC, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The way you said that. Yeah. I, I get that. 
I just, oh, it's so annoying. But I love, like, I love Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, New Order. I love Pet Shop Boys, Tears for Fears, R.E.M., In Excess, Joy Division, The Smiths, Talking Heads, New Order. Like, I like that kind of 80s music. Oh, yeah, like um, the new wave. Yeah, and then sometimes, like, earlier today, like, actually before this pot, like, the podcast, like, I sat outside and was, like, having, like, a cigarette, and I was, like, listening to System of a Down, like. <laughs> yeah, we've, I know we've even talked about, uh, yeah, we were talking, <laughs> I know we've talked a little bit about that style of music, and even then mentioned, like, Marilyn Manson, what was the, yeah, System of the Down, stuff like that, yeah. Oh, I love Marilyn Manson. And lately I've just been like craving Tool. Oh yeah. You did post something about that. I did. I, I like Tool a lot. Yeah. I love Tool. They're, they're never going to come out with an album, but whatever. I, oh, I've just been craving Tool. Like every other day I've been listening to them. So I like all that kind of music. And then I also like, I, I love hip hop. Like I love Tribe Called Quest, um, Fuji's and all that. And then I also listen to like modern, I guess modern day um like joji uh 88 rising is that what they're called i um, honestly i'm i'm pretty out of touch with the music world but yeah I, I listen to that but um what i really listen to though is jazz music oh we talked about that dave brubeck mm-hmm. i'm trying to learn that right now yeah that's what no that's awesome jazz hits the spot it's, uh, many times. So I get that. I love it. That's the core. Like that's the core of like, of music for me is like jazz music. That's where it all begins and that's where it will all end. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So then, uh, one last question for you. And yes. that is, uh, well, other than asking where people can follow you and stuff, but, what do you feel you contribute to the world that is unique to you? That is unique to me. Like in my modeling or no. just like me as a person? Just you as a person. I I feel like, like you said, because like I've kind of grown up kind of like always being the outsider. I feel like for some reason people are like, they're cool with me. <laughs> so I get included in stuff and I feel like I provide that sense of like, like they can be themselves with me and I can be dorky around them. And so they can be dorky around me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. I No, I think it makes, I, I think I, I think I know what you're saying. Like you allow people the freedom to feel like they can be themselves and not, yeah. and not, and not judged. Yeah, um, because, well, I, I would say, like, in this, like, community of models and photographers, often everyone looks like a really cool head. Like, everyone looks hella chill. Like, they always have their shit together. They always say the right things. They always post the right things. Yeah, they have an image. And they have an image. Um, the way that they talk, they're just so cool, so trendy. And I feel like when people from that community meet me, they see I'm not like that. <laughs> like I post, like I'll post things very strategically, but when you meet me in person, I just like really dumb shit comes out of my mouth. And 
they start to feel comfortable around that. And they're just like, Oh my God, like you're, you're so down to earth and weird. I can be myself around you. Or I, I can talk about other like really weird things with you and not feel judged. And I don't know. I, I feel like I provide, I provide that with people, um, in this community and also just like in my personal life. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very nerdy. So people should feel comfortable around that. And I, I feel like there's not a lot of that because people are always trying to put up a front, but I'm sure everyone says that about themselves. So no, I don't think so. That's the first time <laughs> I've heard, heard that one. <laughs> oh God. No, I think, no, that's good. We, I, I <laughs> personally, that's kind of, that's what I, who I like being around. Like it's exhausting constantly trying to, uh, have that facade. <laughs> I don't. Right. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not very good at playing the game, so to say. So I appreciate that kind of, I appreciate those kind of people. So I'm glad you're one of them because I think we need more yeah. of that. So, yeah. But then where can people follow you and reach out? How do you want them to interact with you? Well, they can reach out to me. Um, via Instagram, because that's the only social media that I use for my modeling. I wouldn't really say Model Mayhem is social media because you need to make an, well, I guess you need, uh, never mind. Um, <laughs> my Instagram, which is the inertia creeps. That's literally the name at the inertia creeps. And that's where people can reach out to follow me and, see my stories, um, see my photos and become a patron if they want to see like crazier images. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's really about it. Awesome. And then there's also your photography and I, what, what was the name again? Oh, it's Lambda underscore HF. Okay. Yeah. So people can follow along there and I hope we're at a point uh, in our relationship where I can call you Ning Ning now. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe you just said that. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> no, but it's, it's been, it's been awesome being able to talk, <laughs> talk with you and get to know you. And I really appreciate it and everything you shared, because I think that there's a lot there. And as always with these, it's just, there's so much information and that's what I really love about this is that people can revisit this and uh, can go more in depth with what we've been talking about and even you and your work. So hopefully it'll be a great reference point and hopefully it's been a good experience for you. Yes, this, this was a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much. And yes, you can call me that. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> you're literally like the first person that like has ever said that out loud. And I'm just like, whoa, holy shit. <laughs> Ho hopefully I didn't offend you. <laughs> you established like... <laughs> dominance. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, it's, that wasn't my intent. I was just, uh, <laughs> no, I was joking. That was really funny. And I like that. Like that was hilarious. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. No, but thank you so much. It's, this has been awesome. <laughs> thank you. I, I had a really good time and really amazing conversation. And now I have like, two books that you mentioned that I really want to check out. Thank you to everyone that has listened as well as to my guest, The Inertia Creeps. 
You can contact me at grant at gtrimble.com. That's G-R-A-N-T at G-T-R-I-M-B-L-E dot com. For any feedback or suggestions, or visit my website, gtrimble.com for show notes, and then click the podcast link. Don't forget to follow Inertia on her Instagram at the Inertia Creeps. That's T-H-E-I-N-E-R-T-I-A-C-R-E-E-P-S, as well as her photography on Instagram. And that's at L-A-M-B-D-A underscore H-F, Lambda underscore H-F. You can follow Figureisms on IG, and that is F-I-G-U-R dot I-S-M-S. And my IG, if you like, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your loved ones and show your support by clicking the subscribe button and leaving a review, interacting with us, and don't forget to spread the word. To wreck yourself